Introducing the SND Podcast channel, your one-stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We can be reached on all social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. And now, a beauty production presents... The most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard Podcast, episode 44. I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And Jose, we are talking about the American League divisions. We're also going to give our MVP Cy Young winners from both of them. Wild Cards World Series, but we have to start with football, with the Jets and Giants both making some big signings. And again, we do our podcast, and the Giants have made another move, uh, but we're going to start with the Jets first. Le'Veon Bell is officially a New York Jet, signs a four-year, I think $52 million deal with the Jets, and this kind of feels like the Jets, you know, we're always going to get Le'Veon, and it's the perfect fit, a young quarterback in Sam Darnold, having an experienced guy like Le'Veon Bell. What's your first thoughts on the deal? Well, you know, I was pretty surprised. And you said that everybody thought, you know, that Le'Veon was going to be a Jet. I didn't feel that way, Nick, surprisingly. I know that's surprising for a lot of people. But I feel like when you look at the Jets, you know, it was a, and when I still look at them now, it's a 50, before Bell gets there, it's a 50-50 chance that this team can compete this year um, in the NFL in Darno's second year as uh, Darno, uh, Darnold's um, second year as a QB. Um, I feel like the Jets needed a lot of help, not just getting Bell or any kind of running back. You know, they have a lot of things that they have to work on. So it's a gamble when you go for it against someone, you know, like Le'Veon Bell. I thought there was a lot of other teams that Bell could have went to that are contending teams that are more of a given to make the playoffs. Um, but in the end, Bell chose the underdog here and he bet against, you know, um, the odds signing with the Jets. I feel like a lot of the other moves the Jets made, though, definitely helped his decision by picking up the wide receiver from the Redskins, you know, signing Mosley uh, from the Ravens. You know, if I'm Le'Veon Bell, I'm seeing these moves and I'm saying, okay, you know, th- these are good moves. These are things that it's not just going to be me running the football 50 times a game. And Darnold's going to be able to pass the ball around because now he has a legit wide receiver in Crowder and a couple of other receivers on the field, too. You know, all that helps when you sign an all-star like, you know, a pro bowler like Le'Veon Bell. You want to see that the team is making other moves and not just getting you to put all the pressure on you to win the ball game. So I feel like this is huge for the New York Jets, especially on a day where they're crosstown rivals, or should I say same building rivals, they play in the same stadium, right? Especially on a day where the Giants trade their face of the franchise away and Oda Beckham, they go out there and sign Le'Veon Bell. So if Giants fans weren't feeling bad enough as it is, here's the the last dagger to the stomach here for the Jets to really take over New York here. Um, you know, I expect the Jets to have a better season than the Giants when it's all said and done. And right now they have more star power than, than the New York Giants. Uh, but this is a great signing for the... Um, for the Jets, you know, it's a running back to help out a young rookie, uh, second-year quarterback in um, in Darnold. Um, you know, it adds a great run game to the Jets that I feel like has been missing for a while now. Um, and I think you're going to get a motivated Le'Veon Bell. You know, everybody's saying, "Oh, he sat out an entire year last year." I'm a little worried. Hopefully, he's healthy. The guy sat out last year because he was betting on himself. And yes, he did take less money to come to the Jets, but I still feel like Le'Veon Bell has something to prove. I have the same feeling as Antonio Brown went to Oakland. 
These guys are going to want to shove it to the Steelers and to Ben Roethlisberger. And I think Le'Veon Bell is going to have a huge year for the Jets. And the Jets, to me, have made themselves serious contenders by picking up Le'Veon Bell. So I really like the move. I I don't think you can go wrong on it. Uh, They immediately released Isaiah Crowell. Perfect. You know, no reason to have an extra running back that's not going to be the starter. You know, you you need that safety pass guy. You need those dump-off plays. Le'Veon's the guy that had the most touches as a running back in 2017. On top of that, one of the things I really hate when it comes to loving running backs is trying to follow that up again on a net season. Because oftentimes the guys that touch the ball the most one year struggle to stay healthy the following year. But that's not the case for Le'Veon Bell. The only thing that you have to hope for is he's in football shape. He's got seven months to get into that football shape. It's fine. At the end of the day, you know what to expect from Le'Veon Bell. He's going to be a guy that gets you yards. He's going to be a guy that you give the ball to often. He's going to really help this offense, really take off pressure off Sam Darnold. And at the end of the day, a young quarterback can shine with great players around him. And I think we see that time and time again in the NFL. You know, we expect certain guys to play very well when the players are good around. Uh, Josh Rosen, you know, nobody was doing really good for the Arizona Cardinals. And in result, you know, he's not able to really form out. He's not able to get better from that. Sam Darnold didn't have too much to work with at times. Now he has a great running back. Josh Allen only had LaShawn McCoy, but he was still pulling up big yards at times and big plays. The team wasn't in games often, but at least we saw a lot of production from there. It's it's the right moves constantly. The Jets have the still the third pick in the draft that they can go with on different options. And we're really getting feel, I think we're really getting a feel and Jet fans are getting a feel that, hey, the Jets are back. They're ready to compete. And the fact that this is a very still young division that's trying to become a, a challenging force to the Patriots. Uh, the Dolphins are still rebuilding. The Bills and Jets have their quarterback set for the future. It's a matter of how much can you build around them. And we still talked about it on the Jets had not really much uh, hard cap on their team. Add to the fact that you have a rookie quarterback on your team, so there's no money to your quarterback. This is the exact time where you need to put money around your quarterback to give your team you know, the full sense to win games. Jose, though, $52 million on the four years, does it feel like that's a little bit off from what we were expecting and for what Bell was kind of holding out for? Or does it seem like it's right on point? No, I mean, for sure. I mean, the Steelers offered him a larger contract. Now, I know there's conflicting conflicting reports on whether the Steelers were offering less guaranteed money. Um, I don't know the specifics of what the, the contract that the Steelers offered a couple of years ago was. But it sounded like Le'Veon Bell set out the entire year. He forfeited, what, $14, 15000000 million because we thought he was going to get a big payday. Um, you know, if you told me that Landon Collins is going to end up with a bigger contract than Le'Veon Bell was— I would have called you crazy. But, you know, in the meantime, for Le'Veon Bell, it's just a little strange that, you know, this is it. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm good, happy for the Jets that this is it. They didn't, have to break to, they didn't have to break the bank to get this guy. But 
I wonder if there was any other offers, what were the other offers out there and what was the money like? Because I feel like this is very low number um, in terms of Le'Veon Bell. Don't get me wrong. I think the price is good. I think it's fair for Le'Veon Bell. It's just I expected him to get more because he was making such a big deal about the holdout. And honestly, what this tells me, the fact that he's taking less money to go to the Jets, who to me are not as built as a playoff contender right now as the Steelers are. And I know people are going to scratch their head at that, but to me, the Jets, you know, they're they're almost there. Except the Jets, you know, got to add a couple more pieces, in my opinion. But for Bell to choose to take less money to go to the Jets than staying with the Steelers a couple of years ago, it really tells you, you know, about the clubhouse drama that went on in Pittsburgh and how it's a toxic environment because Antonio Brown leaves, Le'Veon Bell decided to sit out an entire year to take less money to leave. So honestly, I think it says less about uh, Bell's market and how lucky the Jets got with this. And I think it says more about how bad things were in Pittsburgh that Bell just wanted out. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves. And, you know, obviously there's still a draft. We're still so far away. We still have plenty of podcasts to cover the NFL. Does a move like this make the Jets maybe not a playoff team, but a contender? for the playoffs well that's why it's interesting that you brought it up and why you know when you were saying the Jets are back I think it is safe to say that the Jets are back to contending I'm not going to call them a playoff contender just yet because I do want to see what teams do in the draft Um, I think the Jets you know they still have some holes they need to fill I would love to see the Jets get a wide receiver however with that third pick you can do a lot of things you can trade down you can trade it for another established player for teams that are desperate to get a higher pick in the draft Um, you know the the 49ers made a trade for D Ford from the Kansas City Chiefs. They have two defensive ends, and with rumors that Kyler Murray might be going to the Cardinals, all of a sudden Nick Bosa, who's the number one pick on almost everybody's mock draft, all of a sudden he looks like he's available at three. And if the Jets don't go out there and bring him in and add to that defensive line, I mean, that could be pretty crazy if the Jets can land Nick Bosa with the third pick in the draft. Um, so I want to see what else the Jets do first before calling them a playoff team. But when you look at the landscape, Nick, What I like to do is I like to see how many contending teams, how many realistic contending teams are in each each division. You look at the AFC West, the Raiders still need to do more. Again, I I still want to see what they do with their picks as well, too. So I'm not calling them a contender just yet, even though they got Antonio Brown. Not the the Raiders. You look at it, the Chargers are probably going to be a really good team. The Chiefs are going to be a really good team with Patrick Mahomes. I'm on the fence about the Broncos. So let's say two from the AFC West. In the AFC North, I fully expect the Browns to be legit this year. The Steelers, you know, I still want to see what kind of moves they make to kind of retool themselves. I think the Ravens should be pretty good. And I think the Bengals are going to be a doormat for that division. So three teams in the North. So that's five contending teams. There's six playoff spots. In the South, it's wide open. It's anybody's game, in my opinion. You know, we, we've seen teams win that division with a 7-9 and nine record, although I think the Texans are pretty good. To me, the Texans are really the only given team in that division. So one team from the AFC South, and then you go to the East. Of course, you have the Patriots who are going to be in the playoffs. We all know that. But to me, like you said, the Dolphins are rebuilding, and the Bills are just not there yet. I want to see what else they do, too. So if if you're looking at it, there's about, including the Jets, seven teams in my eyes that are legit contenders for the playoffs, and there's six playoff spots. So there's no reason why the Jets shouldn't be contenders. Now, again, depending on how the draft shakes out and what other moves are made before training camp— Maybe the Jets are, are a foregone conclusion as a playoff team. But for right now, you should be really happy if you're a Jets fan saying that 
There's about seven teams in the AFC that are legit contenders. The Jets are one of them. And with six playoff spots, it looks pretty good for the Jets. Yeah, th- this is a great move, and there's still more to come for the Jets. We can be certain of that. On the other team in New York, we spoke about them on our last podcast about trading their star wide receiver, Odell Beckham Jr., to the Cleveland Browns. Now, the Giants have signed a wide receiver. I mean, this is where I try and hit the button and go like, what? Uh, four years, $37.5 million for Golden Tate. And this one's a head-scratcher for me. Uh, Jose, do you like this move? You know, I do and I don't. It's a lot of mixed feelings, and I think a lot of Giants fans are having mixed feelings right now because of what you said. What like, what in the world does this mean? You just traded Odell Beckham, and now we bring in yet another wide receiver. Uh, you know, to me, it's very confusing. I just don't know what the Giants are trying to do because when you let someone like Landon Collins walk away, you let... You know, you trade away Odell Beckham Jr. That, to me, tells me that you're going for a rebuild. And what that told me was that, okay, you know, the Giants are going to stink for another year probably. Maybe we're aiming to get a QB either in this draft class or in next year's draft class when there's a better draft class available. You know, maybe the Giants are going to continue to shop things around. Maybe they're trying to build around Barkley, Shepard, and Ingram. You know, it makes sense. You know, maybe Eli's playing on his final legs here. But then they go out and get a guy like Golden Tate. And honestly... All of a sudden, the Giants went from being, to me, the doormat of the NFC East back to, uh, well, I don't know about this team. Because when you bring in someone like Golden Tate and you add him to the receiving core of Sterling Shepard, you know, Evan Ingram, all of a sudden, that's actually not that bad of a team. And so what I want to know is what is the real direction here for the Giants? And two, like, was trading Odell really part of the plan or was that just trying to get rid of an Odell problem? I mean, we all know Odell Beckham made comments last year about why we why can't we throw the ball for more than 100 yards, all this other stuff, blaming his QB, basically. So my question was, are the, do the Giants actually have a plan, or did they just get rid of some diva drama that they've been wanting to get rid of with Odell Beckham Jr.? And honestly, I think a lot of fans are just kind of fed up because we don't know what we're doing anymore. Like, what, where are we going? And there's just a lot of uncertainty around the Giants right now. So I do like the move because, you know, Golden Tate is a good wide receiver. Very talented. There's a lot of guaranteed money in that contract, but they're really, you know, he's a talented receiver that's going to help the Giants. But at the same time, what the hell is going on and what's the plan? There is no plan. Because, and I'm not trying to say, like, oh, Golden Tate's going to make this team better. He's not. He's a huge step down from Odell Beckham. He's 31 years old. So we're signing a wide receiver that will enter this season at 31 who had his worst season in his last five. On top of that, I mean, he had three games this year with seven or more receptions. None of them were in double digits. Seven or more. Okay. Two games of just over 100 yards. Barely eclipsing one of them. All right. Four touchdowns. That's it. He had five touchdowns the season prior. He had four straight years of 90 receptions. Here's the other issue. He's played with, what, Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, and Matthew Stafford for the last couple of years. In which one of them are they worse than Eli Manning? They're not. He's not upgrading on quarterback. 
The team's not upgrading on wide receiver, and what you're stuck with is not a huge money contract other than the $23 million guaranteed, but just if you're going to tell me about 2020, the Giants have so much cap space now, they're in the rebuild. No, they're not in the rebuild. They don't have a clue what they're doing right now because this is the same fan base and same media that said this, what, three years ago, two years ago? Oh, the Giants have the most cap space. And what did the Giants do? They used all of it. They spent millions and millions for a defense. They got a decent defense. And they had a crappy offense. They were out in the first round in the playoffs in the one year they made it. Don't tell me about cap space. Don't tell me about draft pits when the Giants really haven't hit too well on draft pits over the last couple of years. They don't have a single player prior from 2016 other than, I think, Eli Manning and one other. So their drafts haven't been great. And we're banking on guys that are trading away the best players for barely anything. So I'm, I'm not buying a rebuild of success. I'm buying a complete confusion and a chicken without a head right now. Uh, it, it's a silly head-scratching move that you're you're spending four years on a player that's 31 in the NFL. That one I will never understand at the end of the day. So, uh, the, yeah, it's, it's not an offense that's going to be pretty. It's not an offense that's going to be good. And it's an offense that still has Eli Manning at the end of the day. So if you want to really tell me there's a rebuild, get rid of him, Brennan Blake Bortles, because Blake Bortles needs a job. <laughs> That's not a rebuild either. No, that's a start over. <laughs> that's how you start rebuilding right from the start. You upgrade a quarterback. Um, well, let's say speaking of quarterbacks, uh, Nick Foles signs a four-year, $88 million deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Joe Flacco traded from the Baltimore Ravens to the Denver Broncos. That was earlier. And then Case Keenum traded to the Washington Redskins. So, Jose, pick one and start talking about it. Which one do you think stands out to you the most right now? Well, the one that stands out to me the most is uh, Nick Foles going to the Jaguars. Um, you know, it's one of those things where if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan, you're a little bit bummed out because, you know, Nick Foles, you know, won you that Super Bowl, and he's a great quarterback to have on your team. Um, but at the same time, you know, you knew the guy was eventually going to want to start. Um, and you know, him wanting out in Philadelphia, I don't look at that as a cop out or anything. I just look at it as the guy knows that he's a starter and he wants to go elsewhere to start because clearly the Eagles have Carson Wentz. So to me, there's a lot of teams that needed QBs. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of teams, a lot of more teams should have been in on Nick Foles, um, in terms of upgrading QBs. Um, but Jacksonville gets their guy It's definitely an upgrade over Blake Bortles, no matter what you say, Nick, uh, Nick Foles is, is clearly an upgrade. And I think, by bringing in somebody who's won a Super Bowl, who's actually physically won one, I think this gives you know a team a chip on their shoulder all of a sudden, right? Because this is a team. This is a young team that has a good defense that was 60 minutes away from going to the Super Bowl, and they lost to an experienced team like the New England Patriots. And then they came out last year, and they took a huge step backwards by not even making the playoffs. For the Jaguars, you can't kill that momentum. You have to keep building off of that playoff appearance. How do you do that? By upgrading QBs and bringing in somebody who's actually won something. I feel like a lot of the receivers, a lot of the offense is going to respect Nick Foles because he has that Super Bowl ring. And I feel like the Jaguars are going to be good to go. 
All, and, you know, like I said before, only the Texans really stand out to me in this division because the Titans aren't that great. Um, even though I love Mariota, you know, this is a team that always takes one step forward, another step back. You know, with the Colts, they had a great bounce back year last year. Andrew Luck finally looks like the Andrew Luck of old. Um, but, you know, to me, they need a running game. You know, can they figure that out? And I would love to see them get Andrew Luck some better receivers. Um, so, you know, this is a division that's also very, very winnable. And, you know, credit my boy Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> I know a lot of people don't like him. But at the same time, you know, he mentioned, you know, he brought up something that was really interesting. Nick Foles goes to a team that is ran by Tom Coughlin in the front office. And they're both guys who've beaten the Patriots. And Nick Foles is very similar to Eli Manning in a lot of ways. And they have a great defense in Jacksonville. So it is all part of the plan, in my opinion. Um, so to me, Nick Foles stands out more. Uh, if you ask me who do I feel bad for the most, it's probably Case Keenum. I mean, the guy gets paid a bunch of money <laughs> thinking that he's going to be the QB in Denver. Um, but, you know, I told you that Case Keenum was an overrated QB who benefited from a really good year, that one year in Minnesota. He got paid and Denver was stuck with his contract. And Denver got lucky that, you know, Washington needed a QB because Alex Smith might be out for the entire year again. So Denver got extremely lucky. I think it is an upgrade to get Joe Flacco over Case Keenum. However, um, you know, Denver has all sorts of problems, honestly. But to me, the one that stands out the most is Nick Foles to Jacksonville. I feel like that makes them a much better team than it did a year ago. Uh, I'll take the uh, one you haven't talked about, and that's Denver trading for Joe Flacco, really. Uh, Joe Flacco has been considerably rated the overall worst quarterback in the NFL. Uh, the least amount of touchdowns, uh, the least amount of passing yards, everything. There, there's just... Nothing Joe Flacco has done truly successful since winning the Super Bowl over the San Francisco 49ers. And in fact, when he won that Super Bowl, that's really his payday, where he has this extremely large contract that Denver is willing to take. And this is just at the swinging door of just bad quarterback after bad quarterback after bad quarterback that just going through Denver. And this is the first one that's going to cost Denver a large, large amount of money. Uh, John Elway has done plenty of things right in his career with the Broncos and as a GM. And, and so be it. But this is not one of them. This is a terrible move to trade for. And this, this does not stand out as anything as... Uh, you saw how many misses he's putting in the draft. Now he's missing on the signings. Now he's missing on the trade. Because at the end of the day, Denver now is even in a worse shape with a worse quarterback, with a larger contract that they won't be able to get rid of. They've pretty much shot themselves in the foot. Except it's, you know, an extremely expensive bullet. I... You know, I like Case Keenum. I think he'll do fine in Washington. Washington was, you know, leading the division for a decent amount of last season before Alex Smith's injury. I'm not saying Washington's going to win the division with Case Keenum, but the one thing that they needed was not Mark Sanchez and X, Y, and Z throwing the football for them at the end of the year. They needed to bring in a guy like Colin Kaepernick, or they needed to have any shot in the world of competing last season. They threw that out the door. You know, Case Keenum coming onto that team is not bad. Uh, Nick Foles, you know, this is his contract for winning the Super Bowl. 
he's has put up decent years when not playing under like Jeff Fisher, but there's still plenty of questions for me when it comes to uh, Nick Foles. You know, I, he's been great in the playoffs. Is this his playoff contract? You know, the, the Eagles are very good offensive coordinator, one of the best coaches in Doug Peterson, but I, I'm not buying into it. Nick Foles comes onto a team, there's not much around him. There's no running game. There's no star tight end. There's no star wide receiver. What offense is he running into? So I, I'm not buying into Nick Foles' contract where it's like, okay, $22 million over the next four years that the Jaguars are going to be competing without it. Because the Jaguars were great because Blake Bortles wasn't throwing some interceptions per game. They were undefeated when he didn't throw an interception. Leonard Fournette was doing you know, good when he could stay on the field, and now they've released him. They had a wide receiver that didn't miss the entire season. They they had enough to work with on an offense. Now they don't have an offense, and Nick Foles is going to take over. I think it's an easy person to blame when there's just not enough success in Jacksonville. Uh, I'll say two running backs in the backup position have signed, possibly fighting out for starting positions. Mark Ingram, I think, signed a three-year, $15 million contract with the Baltimore Ravens. Telvin Coleman, the former Atlanta Falcon, signed a two-year deal with the San Francisco 49ers. Which contract and which player will have more success under the new team? I think it's going to be Mark Ingram. I don't think he's going to have as great as a year as he did in New Orleans. I feel like, you know, being behind Alvin Kamara and being a duo with Kamara, you know, definitely pads your stats and pads your numbers. Um, But I do think Ingram is going to be pretty good out in Baltimore. I think they've been searching for a decent running back since the whole Ray Rice situation. Uh, They haven't had much success. So getting a guy like Ingram who can actually run the football and be an every down back, I think is definitely going to help. Um, And I think being with a mobile quarterback, you need a good running back. And, you you know, when you have a QB like Lamar Jackson who likes to stay mobile and doesn't exactly stay in the pocket 24-7, you know, to me that's when you need a a run game the most too because the the tandem – of a mobile QB and a really good running back to me um, is a really, really excellent combination. So I feel like he was one of the better running backs available on the market. Um, And again, I don't think he's going to have as great as a year as he did in new Orleans, because I feel like new Orleans, he kind of benefited from the system there. But at the same time, I think he's a good fit for the Ravens, especially with what they're trying to do and be faster on the offensive side of the ball with Lamar Jackson at QB. So I'm going to take the other side on the San Francisco side. This one's a little bit confusing. You know, it's only two years, uh, but they already have McKinnon, who's still on a one-year deal, left on their contract, coming back from injury. He was supposed to be the starter last season, missed all of last year. Uh, Jeff Wilson Jr., Matt Britter, McKinnon, Telvin Coleman. There's a lot of running backs on this team. I'd love if they would have added another wide receiver than a running back. I'm not going to say this is a great move, but it's it's a good move to at least make, you know, to give more of a competition, more dump-off plays. And at the end of the day, there's Jimmy Garoppolo is coming back. So I don't think we're looking at 
the 49ers a move as, you know, Telvin Tolman makes the difference. It's going to be all about Jimmy G and what he can do. You know, we look at and say um, he's got a lot of different players that can dump off plays. Tolman, though, it's a good signing for a protection back. He's more involved when it came to, like, passing plays and protecting the quarterback going down um, in shotgun formation. So, you know, this is something that stands out to me because the most expensive player on their team, the guy that's going to either be the reason they get to the playoffs or not, is if he can stay on the field. So, Coleman, if he's able to be on the field to protect Jimmy Garoppolo a bit more, I think you could see a lot of different moves with McKinnon and Coleman both on the field at the same time and trying to go uh, pass plays and really confusing offenses. But this sort of almost reminds me of a Patriots-type team. How many times do the Patriots have so many different running backs? And they're not really set on, okay, one's going to run, one's going to pass uh, or catch, and one's going to do 100, one's going to do 100 here. No, it's sort of like, okay, there are five running backs. All five are going to touch the ball at some point or another. They're going to stay fresh in these games. Sometimes one or two of them are going to be the runners. The other ones are not. And it, it sort of feels like that James White, Sony Michelle, and Red Burkhardt. So we, I, that's how I see when I looked at this move. It's a former Patriot quarterback. It's now three to four running bats on the 49ers. This is all the making feelings of they're creating their own Patriot offense with a, just a younger quarterback. All right, let's, we've got to get into the MLB because we're going to spend a lot of time into that. Um, the American League. We, we're also talking about the World Series. We'll give our wild cards. To go back from the American League, though, uh, just to cover up, we both had the Colorado Rockies winning the division in the Central in the National League. Jose had the Chicago Cubs, and I took the Milwaukee Brewers. And in the National League East, you had the Washington Nationals, correct? Yes. And I had the Philadelphia Phillies. They made enough moves for me to give them the division there. Uh, So the American League, a lot different when you compare the two uh, leads because there were three teams that won 100 games last season. And we, it felt like a lot of teams knew they could not compete with the Red Sox, Yankees, and Astros and have almost given up in a complete rebuild. Uh, Baltimore is a good example there. Uh, we won't be talking about that much. <laughs> but you looking at this year, did it feel like this offseason we saw a few more teams try and compete to try and win the, uh, their divisions and try and compete for playoffs, or they're still in rebuild because they can't hold water to the other three teams? I think, you know, like we mentioned in the last podcast, the National League has more teams and teams that made more moves because their divisions are a little bit more wide open. Um, and as we said, in the American League, some things are a little bit more closed off. You know, um, for the American League East, like you said, the Orioles and Blue Jays know that no matter what they do, they really can't overtake the Yankees-Red Sox combo. So they were kind of out of a standstill. And in the West, I think both the Rangers and I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on the other team that's in that division. Athletics, Angels, Mariners. Mariners, yeah. yeah, Mariners, the trading teams, yeah. 
Yeah, that's why I forgot about them. The Mariners pretty much, you know, indicated that they're heading towards a rebuild um, by trading away half their team this year, even though they picked up Edwin Encarnacion and Jay Bruce. Um, expect those guys to get dealt at the deadline um, if they can. Um, you know, those two teams as well, a lot like the Orioles and the uh, the Blue Jays, no, they're not going to overtake the Astros or the A's right now. Um, so they're not making moves necessarily either. The only division to me that actually tried to make moves was the AL Central, and that's because I think everybody's noticing that the Indians are starting to slip off a little bit. Um, you saw the Indians try to make some moves. You heard Corey Kluber was on the trade block for some time. So I think the Indians, you know, their control over the AL Central, their window of just being the only division winner is slowly starting to close. I think a lot of teams made a couple moves there. It's interesting there. And don't get me wrong. There's still some teams that are going to finish in dead last. But I do think that there's there's teams in the AL Central that are trying harder to win now. Um, because they realize the window is starting to open up again to see whoever can take over Central. So, this was nice to see. I, I Even with the Mariners not going out there on free agency, the fact that they were going to trade so many players away, I think made a more entertaining offseason on that part. Uh, we saw a lot of the big-name signings. They're all National League. Bryce and Manning have stayed in the National League. Trimble, title, they haven't signed with anybody. Uh, we saw more trades, I feel, in the American League. But it was nice to see, I think, Minnesota stands out as a team that made a lot of moves in the offseason. And for me, they're the team that had the best offseason among the all uh, American League teams. They made a lot of moves. They made a lot of additions. They added a lot of lineup power. Nelson Cruz, Jonathan Stope, uh, two real simple examples on that where they're adding power. That it was nice to see that they're, they're not laying over and just giving it a division to Cleveland because we talked about the American League Central being the weakest division last season. There's just no one competing in there. So Minnesota going out there and putting up a fight that's what you want to see at the end of the day. Jose, who had the best offseason in the American League? You know, this is an interesting one. I feel like in terms of the American League, I am going to roll with the New York Yankees, actually. Um, I feel like a lot of teams made little moves here and there um, to make themselves better. But the Yankees, to me, actually saw their weakness, which was starting pitching. And they went out there and they got James Paxson, who to me is a big key for the Yankees this year. Um, they went out there, they bring in Adamato Vino to already stacked bullpen. They re-signed Zach Britton. So I think the Yankees realize we won, what, almost 95 games last year, or maybe they won close to 100 games, and we didn't make it out of the, first, we didn't make it out of the second round of the playoffs, right? We, we beat the wild card team, but we couldn't get past the Red Sox. And I feel like for the Yankees, their mission is to blow past Boston, to get past Boston. To, to, I think for the Yankees, honestly, the only team in their way it's probably the Boston Red Sox. So how do you do that? You try and up the pitching because Boston outpitched you last year. Uh, you know, the bullpen, the Yankees have the better bullpen now. They had the better bullpen before the Red Sox. They have one even better now with Adovino and Britain joining the mix again. So to me, the Yankees made the best of it. And also the Yankees had the best offseason because they didn't get Manny Machado. And I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, what are you talking about? Manny Machado is a great player. But, you know, how many times in the past, Nick, have we seen the Yankees go out there and just overpay for the biggest superstar on the market. Many, many times. And I feel like the Yankees, you know, they, they weren't supposed to get, they, you know, they can't get caught up in, oh, okay, Manny Machado, 
okay, we'll give you $300 million. The Yankees basically told Manny, hey, if you want to come here, you got to do it on your terms. You're going to have to take less money. Why? Because, you know, we're going we're to be playoff bound. So if you want to go to the playoffs, join us. You need us. We don't need you, Machado. And I feel like the Yankees still have a crazy load of young talent. You know, Torres entering his second year. I would love to see how Andahar does in his second year. Um, I would love to see Clint Frazier finally crack the lineup. So I feel like, you know, the Yankees are just a really, really good team that made great moves in the offseason, too, to actually make themselves better. A lot of these other teams stayed where they were. The Red Sox, you know, they kind of stood pat. They didn't bring back Kimbrell or anything, so their bullpen's kind of disheveled. You know, the Astros... They brought in Michael Brantley, but other than that, they didn't make any other crazy moves either. You know, the A's are the A's, and the Indians, again, they, you know, traded away players. So, for the Yankees, to me, they were the only team that really wanted to upgrade themselves for a team that made the playoffs last year. A lot more trade into the season. The Twins, for me, stand out the most, and that's how I looked at it going in. Uh, we asked... When we did the National League, we went west to east. We're going to do the same way, starting with the American League West and working forward. And we're going to take the team that finished in last in the division the following season. And that is, let's see, I think it's Texas. It is Texas at 67 and 95. Uh, their 95 losses were only the fourth worst. In the American lead. That's how bad the American lead was at times. Uh, finished 36 games out of the division. But when it comes to Texas, you know, they, they've made some interesting moves with their pitching staff. Taking a lot of guys on more chances than anything. Shelly Miller, Edison Volquez, Drew Smiley, Lance Lynn, uh, Mike Miner. So this is a team that's going on a lot of that uh, options. You know, no more Adrian Beltry. He's retired at that point. What are you looking at for Texas? Like, what stands out? We haven't seen them really put a signing because a lot of their money is already into players like Sinsu Chu, Elvis Andrews. Uh, where are you looking at them for the, uh, Texas? You know, like you said, they lost 95 games last year. I wouldn't be surprised if they lose more this year or lose around the same amount. Um, you mentioned some of the signings they did. Lance Lynn, Mike Miner, all of those are stopgap signings. So what that tells me is that, hey, we're not expected to compete again this year. We're just going to fill some holes to try and get through the year and keep developing through the draft and trying to get players. And I think the biggest thing is, and like you said, Adrian Beltre retired. That was really, you know, he was the captain and the leader of that clubhouse. And watching Adrian Beltre's press conference, um, you know, him telling, you know, saying that basically Elvis Andrews, has to take the reins now, how Elvis Andrews is next in line, and how he's been coaching him to be the leader of the team. In my opinion, I think one thing that the Rangers need to do this season, whether it's either at the deadline or again in the offseason later on, is trade Elvis Andrews. I think he's the only player right now on this team that can get a good value back. I know he's still owed a lot of money for the years that he's playing, but there are teams that could use a shortstop or a second baseman if he converts to second um, with his talents. Uh, if you're the Rangers, you know, you have a good slugger in Joey Gallo. Uh, Nomar Mazzaro is really good in the outfield. So those are the guys you need to keep building around. And, you know, for the Rangers, it kind of sucks, but there's nowhere else to go besides this route of trying to retool. I know they're going to have a first-year manager in Chris Woodward. 
But again, <laughs> you're, gonna to, you're gonna have to cut him a lot of slack, honestly. Also, how how weird does it feel, Nick, that players that we watch are starting to manage teams? Because I feel a little bit old when that's the case. We're getting old. That's <laughs> yeah, just I mean, the case. But um, so for you know for the Rangers again, you got to retool. You just got to keep going. Trust the process. And you know, I think as much as players and fans love Elvis Andrews in Texas, I think he's the next guy to go. And I think because he, he's the one that's going to bring you back the most value. Is it tough to trade away these type of contracts? Andrews and Rene Odor are the longest active players on their contract till like 2022-2023. Yeah, I mean, it is hard. It's hard from a fan standpoint because you feel like, oh, well, I mean, who else is on this team? And we're just going to trade away players. But it's also hard from a money standpoint because, you know, again, these are big contracts and teams don't have to take the whole contract on. So, you know, that's going to hurt the ability or it's going to hurt the value of what they get back. Because they might have to eat some of that money too. But again, you need to get some kind of players in return. And I think, again, the direction to go to might be trading Andrews or, and or Dorr. But of course, they have to have good years in order for them to get some kind of value too. This is going to be a tough year for Texas. I don't think there's much to hope on. Uh, you know, there's not many big name prospects we're hearing that are coming from Texas. And at the end of the day, just there's a lot of money tied to that offense. They have the feel uh, like the Detroit Tigers a couple of years back. You know, the Detroit Tigers are more going to have to wait for a lot of the contracts to go away before even really having a chance to rebuild. And maybe they have a pitcher or two, but it's just too much to try and get done in one season. That's the same way it feels like Texas. You know, this is going to be a last place team. There's not much to love. And it's it's not going to get better. The only hope that they can do is they can try and beat Seattle. But I think Seattle still has a better lineup than them at the end of the day. Uh, the offense is there. There's just no pitching staff for the Texas Rangers. The Angels finished at 80 and 82 last season, just under 500. Yeah. With the Angels, let's start with this. Mike Trout. You look at him, he's going to be a free agent soon. We just saw the contracts Arenado was given of a re-signing. Bryce Harper was given in free agency. Machado as well. You look at this and say, how much do the Angels need to try and re-sign Mike Trout before he becomes a free agent? Uh, I think they... You know, I think they need to, and that's why you heard rumors about the Angels saying, "Well, maybe we should extend him now." I think, you know, I think the Angels always wanted to extend Trout, but there were some little rumors that he might go to Philly. But now that Harper goes over there, and you know, and now he's already saying he's going to recruit Mike Trout as if Mike Trout even needs recruiting. I mean, if he wants to go home, he wants to go home. But I think for the Angels, you know, you've had Trout for a while now. How many years has Trout been in the league? Four or five years already? More than that. That's how many years he's been the runner-up to the MVP. So, and in how many of those seasons have you actually made the playoffs? Maybe once, like maybe twice. I think it's only once that the Angels have made it over the past couple of years. You know, Mike Trout is a great guy. He's a face of a franchise. You can build your team around him. But at some point, those guys get tired of the team not being built around them properly. And for the Angels, you know, they had a lot of contracts, big contracts in Alpha Pujols, which they really regret. They regret the Josh Hamilton one. But, you know, they haven't been doing anything to keep to build around their guy, which is Mike Trout. And, you know, when you have a guy like that, you need to make something happen because otherwise he might be like, you know what? I'm done and up and leave to another team that has more promise. So 
I feel like the Angels, the first step is to give Mike Trout a reason to resign. And they made some nice moves in the offseason. I kind of like that they took a chance on Matt Harvey, a one-year deal for $11 million, could be $15 million on incentives. You know, they bring in Jonathan Lucroy on a one-year deal who can coach their young pitching staff. I like Tyler Skaggs. I like Andrew Heaney. I like those two guys in the rotation. You know, they bring in Cody Allen on a one-year deal. So I like a lot of this one-year deal approaches to, you know, let these guys rebound and either get a contract someplace else or if these guys have a good first half of the season, they can flip them for something. But step one is for the Angels to establish something to say, Trout, this is why you should resign. Look what we have. Because honestly, over the past couple of years, I don't see a reason why Trout would resign with the Angels. So the other part with this is Shohei Otani, you know, their other big name star, he's not going to pitch this season. And that's a huge part of like why they brought him in to be a pitcher and a hitter. When it comes to like Shohei, how do you handle that? Like, do you want to try and have him like, if he needs Tommy John, just get Tommy John, be gone a year and then come back. Or you looking at it saying, okay, we can, if he's just going to be a hitter, that's okay at the end of the day as well. Well, I think at the end of the day, when it comes to something like this, it depends what Otani wants. Because I feel like if Otani wants to pitch again, then you know he should either follow the rehab process or he should you know get Tommy John surgery. But if you know if he doesn't really care if he pitches again or not, then he can just be a hitter. Then I don't see why not. I think at the end of the day, I think this comes down. This is a difficult situation where it's one of those things where it's like not only. You know, if he gets Tommy John, not only are we losing a pitcher, but we're losing our DH because we're losing a big bat in our lineup. And he can hit the ball. He proved that. And, you know, it's one thing, again, it's one thing if you get Tommy John as a pitcher because, okay, we're missing our pitcher for an entire year. But it's like you're missing two positions with one when you have a two-way player. But then at the same time, if he continues to hit, then he can't really pitch because he's not healthy. So, you know, this is like the one flaw with having a two-way player who's good at both things because if you want to correct one you know one flaw then you lose him for both right if they want him to get Tommy John you don't only lose the pitcher you lose the hitter so I think it really depends uh, with the Angels honestly I don't see them contending next year so I would just have him get Tommy John and have him ready to go for the next year you need him in the lineup at the end of the day we saw the rookie a year play phenomenal uh it sucks when one of the most entertaining players in baseball isn't able to be, you know, always there. And I think that's a huge hit. And uh, you hope guys like Tyler Stads can pick it up. I-, I like that you mentioned Matt Harvey. I think he's going to have a great year. But, yeah, Shoei Otani, if he's going to be missing a full year pitching, uh, you're you're down your ace, and in one year from now, if he's still hurt and he needs Tommy John, well, he missed out on it a year prior, and it's better to handle these things a year in advance than uh, a year in the future. And this this is sort of like the Tanaka issue was if Tanaka should get the surgery or not, and Tanaka holds out, and he's still pitching very well because of it, but. Tanaka didn't have to miss an entire year of pitching. You certainly hope that doesn't affect him uh, too much, where it could even be longer than that. So there's a lot of concerns, I feel, when it comes to Shohei. Uh, And 
I don't know how much they're going to get better from there. You know, where do you see the Angels finishing this season? Honestly, I could see them. You know, the Angels are an interesting team where it's like, one of what's those the high where, point that they could be. Let's put it that way. That's a better way to put it. In terms of where in the standings, or just what's like the what's a reachable aspect for the Angels this year? You know, I think being a 500 team can be pretty reachable because it's one of those things where you know they're not great and they're not going to be playoff contenders. But will they be? Will they be better than last year? I think so. You know, if you have a healthy Albert Pujols, anything he can give you when he's healthy is pretty good. And, you know, Mike Trout is going to be Mike Trout. If Otani hangs around to be a hitter for the entire year, even better. So the offense is not terrible. And you add guys like Jonathan Lucroy who can really help the pitching staff. You saw what Lucroy did in Oakland the year before, and he can still hit. So I think being a 500 team is achievable for the Angels, but I just don't see them making the playoffs or any sort of that kind of stuff. But they will be better than last year, in my opinion. Lastly, if the Angels are really struggling or midway through the season, do you ever consider trading Mike Trout or no? Because even if he becomes a free agent, you always hope you can have the option of resigning him. No, under no circumstances do you trade Mike Trout unless you get informal writing or verbal agreement that he's not going to resign with the Angels. If you're the Angels, I feel like the only way you trade him is if you know for 100% is that you can't that he's not re-signing. And I know it's one of those things where it's like, oh, but you don't want to let him walk away for nothing. But in this scenario, you don't let a guy like this, you don't trade a guy like this just because you need the prospects and stuff. You know that they have a shot to try, to try and re-sign him. You know, he did sign that six-year deal originally, so you know that he at least, at, you know, he a little at least wants to be in L.A. And I think deep down inside, Trout does want to stay in L.A. Um, you know, and eventually, you know, get something going there. But at the same time, a team needs to hold up their end of the bargain and get them players as well, too. Seattle, a game under 90 wins last season. And it seems like they just, you know, set fire to their entire team, trading away James Patston to the Yankees, trading away Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz to the Mets. Uh, just And in doing so, they added their three top prospects on their team now. Jin uh, Siedra uh, to the Phillies. They got Carl Santana and they traded him away to the Indians. Uh, Seattle made the offseason entertaining. Let's call it what it is. But they're probably not going to be done when it comes to the regular season. When it comes to rebuilds like this, do you think this can be a fast rebuild for Seattle or... A, a very slow rebuild. You know, I think it could be very fast depending on, you know, what do you pick up? And I feel like that's why um, when they make some of these trades, they're pretty smart. You know, when they traded away James Paxson, they pick up they pick up Justice Sheffield, who to me is going to be a good MLB rotation pitcher. He may not be an ace, but he could be a three or four in a rotation. You know, when they made the trade with the Mets, yes, they were trying to dump Cano's contract. But they also weren't stupid in saying, you know what, we'll just take anything. You know, they asked for Jared Kalenic, who should be, you know, a pretty good outfielder, you know, in three to four years when he does actually come up. And they pick up a good pitcher in Justin Dunn. So I feel like for the Mariners, they just need to be smart. They're, you know, they can 
very quickly be back in the mix of things, but it depends on what you get back for certain players and if you're being realistic about certain trades. You know, they bring in guys like Edwin Encarnacion and Jay Bruce on these deals, which is kind of smart in a way because then you, you can flip these guys again at some point in their contracts, uh, whether it's at the deadline or in the offseason, depending on how many years they have left. So I do like the approach for the Mariners of, Give me a prospect and then give me a guy's contract that you're trying to get rid of because then I can get rid of that guy if he's playing well and get something for him. So for the Mariners, uh, you know, it was reported today that Kyle Seeger is going to be out till June. Um, to me, he's probably the next guy that needs to go. Um, I mean, it, it might be hard now since he's not healthy technically. Um, but if you're the Mariners, you just need to stay the course and, uh, you know, trade guys away. You know, if that means trading D Gordon away, um, then so be it. But if you're the Mariners, commit to the rebuild just go for it because we've seen what happens when teams half rebuild um it doesn't get the job done so if you're the mariners do the full rebuild um and be smart when you're trading away players do you uh if you're the mariners though you have jay bruce and it's probably more of a dh role uh, we did see him play pretty well when he was with the Cleveland Indians two years ago. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion, I really like him. Another guy that's a DH first baseman type position. Uh, but Edwin's a guy that can go to a lot of different teams to help give you a playoff push, to give you a first baseman of need, to win you a lot of games. Uh, you look at other teams, like is there a team that stands out to you that they could make their next trade with for one of their guys that they still have in a large contract, or is it more they're going to be stuck with the two of them till the end of their contracts? Well, I think right now it's a little hard to say. I feel like a lot of teams are, you know, have their position set in stone. Um, when I think of Edwin and Canarcion, uh, you know, I think of a DH slash first baseman, um, and there's not a lot of teams that need that right now. Um, you know, you saw teams go for cheaper options in free agency. I mean, even the big guys had trouble getting contracts, right? Because everybody wants to go for the cheaper option. So um, I think I can't, honestly, I can't think of a team right now, Nick. I think you'll see in our Canarcion flip the deadline. I think he's more the attractive option. But for a guy like Jay Bruce, he might be a guy he might see dealt in the offseason um, or as he's entering his final year of his contract. Yeah, right now, the only two teams that I think truly stand out to me is the Nationals if Ryan Zerman goes down or is just, you know, can't handle the position anymore. And the Rockies, uh, provided either Murphy get, uh, gets hurt, so a few more injuries on that one, or it's just like the second baseman options just don't work when it comes to, you know, the, this entire season. I know Ryan Mc, uh, Mann and Garrett Hampton are two of like the three guys fighting now for the starting second baseman spot, but if both or all the options were to struggle again this season, maybe Murphy moves to second base and opens up a first base position, uh, whether or not Ian Desmond moves back from outfield to first, or they have a trade route with Seattle come that point. The Oakland Athletics, you know, they're... <laughs> it's, it seems like whenever we talked about Oakland, it's Give Oakland credit. I don't know how they pull this off. Uh, the Moneyball team, 97 wins last year. It, they just find it. Always seems like they just find a way. They signed Mike Fly, uh, Fires, which was really their must move. Uh, Sean Manea is still injured. You don't know when if he'll make it back this season. But 
this team brought into the effect of we're going to use relief pitchers as our starting pitcher for the entire game the way through. Uh, they have obviously Chris Davis and some big options like Matt Chapman, but you, you look at Oakland, are you always impressed with what they do year in, year out? You know, I am, especially when I read something last year along the lines of, um, you know, Oakland had one of the lowest opening day payrolls to make the playoffs at like $66 million or something like that, which is insane, right? Because when we hear about teams having payrolls less than 80, we're talking about teams like the Marlins, you know, teams like the Orioles, last place teams. Um, you know, and it's just, honestly, it's insane. Uh, I'm very impressed, and especially because, you know, it's always like they have the next guy up. You know, a team like Oakland – Every now and then they'll tear everything down, but then in, in about a year or two they'll be back in the playoff hunt, right? Because the last time they had a great team was when they had Josh Reddick. Um, they let him walk away, or they traded him to the Dodgers at one point. When they had Cespedes, they traded him away. You know, they had Josh Donaldson. And really, when you lose that group, you didn't think Oakland was going to rebound from that. And then what do they do? They have Matt Chapman. They have Matt Olson. They have Chris Davis, you know, so they always have to, they always find a way to have guys waiting in the wings that way when the team does get too expensive. And it's a little sad that Oakland still has to go through that. Um, but when they do decide to trade guys away, they have these guys just to take their place. And honestly, it's amazing the way that they do things. And Bob Melvin deserves a lot of credit because it feels like every year he has a completely different roster to work with. Yeah. This is always, I think, the, one of the most impressive teams on how they continue to get it done. Uh, they should be still one of the favorites to make the playoffs. I, I don't know if they can beat Houston for the division, but they certainly are going to be one of those top teams for a wild card opportunity. And when you t- when you have teams like Texas and Seattle in your division, two teams you can beat upon. Those are extra wins you need to have in a weaker American lead compared to the few powerhouse teams. But they still did very well against them. I, I like Chris Davis. Here's the question about Chris Davis, though. It's like, you know, he's going to hit you 40 home runs and 100 RBIs. That's a given. It seems to be every year he does that. But you know what else he does every single year? Four straight years. A 247 average. I, I've that to me is unthinkable. How the 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 guy is so consistent at everything he does. His average is exactly the same for four straight seasons. I really want it to happen for a fifth year. I don't care if 247 is bad. You know, he's not going to be a guy that ever hits. It's not bad when you're hitting 30 home runs. Okay, 40 yeah, home runs. Yeah, like 48. <laughs> He led the lead in home runs last year. Um, yeah, Chapman seems to be improving really well. He's one of their best players. I, I really like Oakland, but the biggest concern is if they go with the relief pitching to pitch an entire game or that one inning game, do you think that can hold for seasons on end? Is, is that a future of baseball you can believe in? In the bullpenning? Yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, it, it's one of those things where I don't know if I fully believe in it just yet. Um, I think you still have to get a lot of guys on board with it. Um, 
And I think it might be the future of baseball, especially if the DH gets approved in a national league, because I feel like a lot of the reasons why we don't see it in the NL is because they have the pitcher spot to bet out for. So that means you'll be burning through a lot of pinch hitters. Um, So I think in the American league, it's going to be more common. Uh, I'm not completely sold on it. I think there are definitely a lot of pitchers who can benefit from it, um, from facing the the batting order once or twice to the order as opposed to three times. But um, I I just don't think it'll be the future of baseball until we see the DH uh, get approved in a national league as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to buy into it. I don't think it's a way to win because it's great that you can have uh, relief pitchers and only have to go an inning and have to get three outs. But essentially you are relying on nine guys to pitch perfect. That's part of the struggle. You're relying on nine people to have a great night. They don't have to one, two, three the lineup. They don't have to. They but they can't have any up any runs. And it's also a different mindset coming out in the second inning than it is coming out in the f- the fifth, coming out in the eighth. Some people can handle only save situations, and when they get out of the ninth inning and pitch the eighth, they struggle a lot. Uh, and there, there's a lot of like just consistency that baseball players do. And I think when you create this relief pitchers going to start the game, it's an inconsistent moment for a lot of different teams. And I don't think it's something that, you know, a lot of, a lot of GMs, a lot of coaches, and especially a lot of players are going to lean on, on as a good idea. Uh, lastly, Houston, Houston added Michael Brantley, and I love uh, Brantley move because that was the one position they seemed to need was an extra outfielder, and they got somebody I thought Atlanta was going to go after, and I thought he was going to be a perfect fit with Atlanta, signs a two-year contract with the Houston Astros. Um, We saw the Astros have a lot of injuries throughout the season, still win 100-plus games. they bring in Wade Miley. There's no Dallas title. You look at Houston, and do you look at them and say they're ready to go for another deep playoff run? You know, I, I think so. Um, and I know a lot of people are saying, well, they lost Dallas Kygo, They lost Charlie Morton. Um, but, you know, this is a team that they still have Garrett Cole. They still have Justin Verlander. Um, they still have a pretty deep rotation. You know, they have guys like Forrest Whitley in the minors who should be up at some point this year, who I think is going to be an absolute stud. And I think a big reason why they weren't, you know, they didn't feel like a big threat last year was because of a lot of their injuries, right? Carlos Correa missed a lot of time last year. Jose Tuve uh, was hurt for a good portion of the season. Um, and Alex, Alex Bregman really carried the team on his back. Um, so I feel like the Astros, you know, if they're fully healthy, this team can do some extraordinary things and really challenge the Red Sox and the Yankees and be up there with them. Um, but it's all about staying healthy. You know, a guy like Carlos Correa, you need him in the lineup. When he goes missing, it's a big, big difference. You know, George Springer needs to stay healthy too. They all do. Um, but again, I think the fact that Alex Bredman had such a great year last year, to me, that would put a chip on my shoulder. Because again, if you had Bregman's great year, plus, um, you know, a healthy Correa and a healthy Altuve, all of a sudden you're looking at a better lineup and a better team. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about starting pitching. 
But like I said, you still have young prospects like Forrest Whitley in the minors. All of a sudden, you know, they can easily replace Dallas Keigo in my mind. Yeah. What's incredible about Houston is we talked about them. They have 100 plus wins last year. They've won a World Series two years ago. They have two of the top 10 prospects in baseball in Forrest Whitley and Kyle Tucker. They're two of the top eight, I think. They're seven and eight. They're right next to each other. So this team is nowhere near of out of it. It's just a matter of when players like Altuve, Correa, Springer become free agents, can they sign all of them? It's almost going to be where is the where is the point where this could end is, you know, in a few years when it's free agent point market time. But for right now, Houston's going to make another impressive run, I think, deep into the playoffs. Uh, there there are a lot to get in. That their, their team is just too deep that we talked about it and they're just missing player, missing player, missing players at times and it's just it doesn't matter at all. The team is great. So with that we go from last to first. Jose, start us off. Who do you have in the American League West? Well, in last place, I'm going to have the Texas Rangers. Again, I just think this is a team. Um, they're still in their rebuild phase. They picked up a bunch of stopgap pitchers. Um, but, you know, it's a bunch of guys like Lance Lynn and Mike Miner inside of a home run derby park like, you know, the Arlington, um, the stadium in Arlington. So I'm not too thrilled for what the Rangers have going on right now. Again, they're still in a rebuild. I don't think Chris Woodward has a good uh, a good team down there to work with. Um, I think Joey Gallo and, and Nomar Mazzara will do well, um, but the Rangers really need to look to trade guys like Andrews and uh, Odor if they get the chance, um, at least for some pieces, and just keep building within the minors. In fourth place, I'm going to go with the Seattle Mariners. Um, you know, it really sucks because this is a team that was, you know, they were one game for making the playoffs a couple of years ago. They had a good chance last year, but they fell off towards the end of the season where they had one or two bad weeks. Um, and to see them, you know, trade away a lot of key pieces like Edwin Diaz, Robinson Cano, you know, that that's a shot to the a gut to the gut for a lot of Mariner fans, knowing that they're probably going to be in for another rebuild. I don't expect them to win a lot of games. Again, we like we said before, they have to stick to the plan of trading the veterans they have on their team as well, too. Um, especially, you know, Kyle Seeger for the first two months. That's not going to exactly help things. Um for the first two months of the season, too. Uh, third place, I'm going to have the Angels. Again, I think they'll be hovering around 500. They'll be better than the last year. Not a playoff team, but I do love Andrew Heaney. I love Tyler Skaggs. I think Matt Harvey might have a nice little bounce-back season there. Um, and I love what they did with the whole one-year contract approach, getting a bunch of guys for one year, giving them a chance to bounce back you know, and play their hearts out to try and you know regain their value. Um, so really, to me, this is a two-team race. In second place, I have the Oakland A's. Um, again, this is a team that they know how to hit the ball. They know how to score runs. They're great on defense. I am a little bit worried about the pitching, though. They don't have a solid starting staff. They like to bullpen games. Um, but also their bullpen is not as strong as it was last year, right? Fernando Rodney's not there anymore. Jerez Familia is not there. You know, they still have Blake training, but I think a big part of that Oakland bullpen was they had, they had a lot of different guys who can come at you in the later part of the innings, and they don't have that anymore. Um, so I'm going to roll with the Houston Astros in first place. I just think it's a better offense than Oakland. They have a better pitching staff than Oakland. Um, and I think that if this team is healthy, they're one of the best teams in the American League. And I really think, this is a bold prediction here, I think Forrest Whitley comes up at some point this year 
And I think he has a phenomenal season for the Houston Astros. And really, for, let's ask for the fans forget that Dallas Keigel even left the team. So, mine is going to be, well, the same. Uh, Texas is going to be last. You know, they, they didn't improve at all. They, 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 won, they lost 95 games. They're not going to get better. They didn't make the moves to get better. It's going to be a long season. Like you said, you hope you can trade a piece or two, get yourself off some contracts, but baseball is showing that teams are just not wanting to take on those contracts. It's going to be a tough year for Texas. It was a good time for Adrian Beltre to leave. Fourth, real simple, Seattle. Yes, they won 89 games, and that's why I'm giving them ahead of Texas. Because one team, although they've dropped off a lot of talent, they still have added a nice couple of moves. I like their signing of the Japanese pitcher who's going to start Game 2 in Japan for them against the Athletics. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name. That's just... I've given up that. Uh, so, Seattle's still got a long time. They're going to probably trade a piece or two more. It's another one where it's going to be tough. They've taken on a lot of salary. But this is what they had to do. They gave away the large contracts. They were able to get rid of Robinson Cano's contract. I love what they did in the offseason when you look at and say they didn't feel they were in contention and they didn't waste their time. When you're not in contention, you have a star closer. That's useless. Trade them away. You trade away your biggest salary. Yeah, you had to eat some money, but you have now on your team your number two and number three prospect for it. That's an amazing trade for Seattle. Yeah, you had to give up your best pitcher in James Patston. But on the flip side on Patston, he also doesn't stay healthy all the time. It's okay to make those trades at that point. And you get your number one prospect. So I love what Seattle did in the offseason, but it's still going to put them in fourth. Uh, Mike Trout and the Angels, it is unfortunate what Mike Trout has to go through. Year in, year out, being the best player in baseball every single year. Not always getting the love for MVP. On top of that, he's on a team that just doesn't get better. I am with you. They're in third. They're maybe 500. They may be under 500. It's just a matter of what they can do beating up on the division. But don't necessarily look at the Angels as that bad of a team. 80 and 82, under 500. They had three teams in that division with 89 wins or more. So when you look at the Angels, they're not necessarily out of it. They made enough moves to rebuild. I think they can be that sleeper team that has a chance to make a playoff push, especially when Seattle goes down. It's a lot of wins they'll pick up on their side. If they can win a couple more games, Mike Trout missed a decent amount of time last year. He he spent time on a DL. That That's the difference maker. Trout plays a full season. On top of that, Seattle, they could be looking at a second wild card spot on the cusp of it. Don't give up on the Angels just yet because we say them on third. I think as a third-place division team, they have the best chance of making the playoffs out of every team. Second, I'm going the Athletics. You know, Jose, you stated a lot of great points. 
you don't really know what to get out of a lot of the starting pitchers. I like Mike Flyers, but there's also times where Mike Flyers really struggles. The bullpen's good, but it is a little bit of a downgrade from what they had towards the end of last season. They have a lot of great young talent among, with the Athletics, and I love Chris Davis. I think he's one of the most underrated hitters. 40, 100, 247. Yeah, I don't really love the 247, but he's playing in Oakland. He's still hitting over 40 home runs. And when we say 40, he's closer to 50. He should be the favorite again to hit an easy 40-plus home runs. He's not really going to ever be considered for an MVP, but he certainly played phenomenal last year. Uh, First is Houston. They're just the best team in this division. And it's not really close. They have the two best starting pitchers. They have a good bullpen. It's not great. I'd love them to go out there and make a signing for another bullpen arm. Uh, they're, they're trusting in Wade Miley. They have the pieces at come the All-Star break that if they do need to upgrade somewhere for some reason, they can always make those trades. You love that when you have a team that has that much flexibility. And, you know, at the end of the day, they, they have so many players that could be dark horses for MVPs, could be a debate on who their best player is. Jose Altuve, Correa, Springer is just the small list of examples. Michael Brantley, when he stayed healthy a couple of years back, he was third for MVP. So this is a guy that's not too far off. And he had a great year for Cleveland last season. I expect him to have another great season. We saw what he could do with guys around him like Lindor and Jose Ramirez. So expect the same out of Brantley. You love this lineup. They're going to win the division. They're the best team in the American League West. In the Central, we go with two teams. Not one, but two teams that had a 100-plus losses. That's impressive to do to begin with because somebody's got to beat each other and they play each other 18 times to start off. But the White Sox and the Kansas City Royals, 104 losses for the Royals, 100 losses for the White Sox. Jose, which team has the better chance of improving for the future? The Twins or the White Sox? No, no. White Sox or the Royals. Finished Sorry, with I didn't hear you for a second. Yeah. The, yeah. Honestly, I think you got to roll with the White Sox. I think they have the pitching for it. Um, I know Michael Kopech is going to miss a good chunk of the year as he recovers from Tommy John. Um, but they also have the better offense, too. I mean, you know, don't sleep on – I know they end up with Manny Machado. But don't sleep on the guys like Yonder Alonso and John Jay. Um, and I still like the guys like Yohan Mancata and Yolmer Sanchez. You know, they, they have a good young offense there that can really make things work. Um, and, you know, they have pitchers like Dylan Cease. Uh, I know they sent him down. They also sent down Aloy Jimenez. But at some point, Jimenez is going to be in the big leagues, um, and he is going to help this team win some games. Um, you know, for the Royals, they lose Sal Perez for the year. That's a huge blow for them. I mean, I know they still have Escobar, but and they still have Whit Merrifield. But, you know, Perez is the heart and soul of that Royals team now that everybody's gone. And you could even argue that he still was the heart and soul even when everybody was there. Um, but also, the Royals lack pitching. Like, extremely, they lack pitching. Um, so... You know, one might not, one team is only slightly better than the other, but if you're going to make me choose one, I'm choosing the White Sox. For the Royals, they signed, uh, re-signed Mitt Weather for a longer contract. Uh, they added 
uh, Montesias come up for second base. Billy Hamilton was the name I was losing on there that they added to the team. Uh, the Royals, you know, if they might still lose a hundred games, but they certainly should be considered the favorite to have the most stolen bases in the league. I think that's something that, with the Royals that's interesting. Uh, what what is it you look like for the Royals? How is there any chance they can improve, or this is what we expected two three years ago when they made their last run for the World Series? You know, I think this is what we expected when they made their run. I mean, when you saw guys like Hosmer leave and 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 Moustakis walk away, even though he ended up resigning with them, I think that was the beginning of the end. You know, Lorenzo Cain signs elsewhere. I think this is a team that they knew. Um, they didn't have much time left with their open window. And I think you saw that because they made some major upgrades um, the year that they lost the World Series in 2014 to when they won in 2015, right? They went out there and they traded for a guy like Johnny Cueto. A team like the Royals don't do that. They don't give up prospects for a starting pitcher like Johnny Cueto knowing that they can't re-sign him. And yet they did it anyways because they knew that their window was small. They knew that if they wanted to try and strike and win a championship, that was the time to do so. So they brought in a guy like Johnny Cueto. So I think the Royals knew that their window was very small with the team that they had, especially with a lot of them developing towards the back end of their contracts or their rookie contracts. And I think the Royals are just trying to retool and try and open that window again. They might be close because, like you said, Mondesi's a pretty good prospect. Merrifield's a pretty good player. They still have guys like Alex Gordon and Sal Perez when he comes back next year. Um, so I think if you're the Royals, just need to retool and try and open that window again so you can strike and probably make the playoffs. Um, but I think the Royals knew that this was coming. Yeah, for the Royals, I think this is the same thing. that uh, it's, it's a patient rebuild. Everybody knew it was coming with everybody that was leaving the team. One of the painful things about this is you have to wait Till you can do exactly what you're trying to do right now. You know, Whit Merrifield comes up. Mondesi's coming up. You're just, you're just waiting for just players to continuously come up to where you can get enough. And that's the issue with the Royals. And part of their struggle is you need to hit on almost everyone in order to get there. And it's near impossible. At times. So for the Royals, it's going to be a struggle. But I think for the Royals, they should have a better year than last season. Uh, they are a, a slightly better team. And when you look at it and say, hey, we get to see what this guy can do. What this guy can do. What, that's going to help. But Salvador Perez is out for the year. He's going to need Tommy John surgery. That's going to be the biggest hit to this team. At the end of the day, I've always felt that they should have traded Perez because it's the same as a you know a closer. If your team is going to be terrible, two things you should always try and get rid of. A closer and a catcher. Because neither one have always that feel of long, long, long-term value. And they're more short-term value. You should always look to trade them out when you can. Salvatore Perez is going to miss the entire season. That's a huge hit for the Royals at the end of the day, but it's going to be a long season at the end. Uh, Chicago White Sox, they weren't able to sign Manny Machado after trying to sign all of the rest of his family to uh, contracts, but they still have some young players. Uh, Michael Cope, who's going to, you know, he's, he's out for a while, but Jose Abreu is still one of the guys of consistent 
for the White Sox. When you looked at the White Sox, they had 100 losses last season, but they're on the cusp of maybe not this year being on the push for the division and a push for playoffs, but they are very close even with 100 losses coming into this year. Yeah, I think, you know, if they had a healthy Michael Kopech, this is a different story. But he came up last year and had a good showing in the first couple of starts that he did. Um, the fact that he's going to sit out maybe half the year with the injury is a little bit of a bummer. Um, but I think it's a sign of things to come. Uh, you know, I think I do think the White Sox are that one superstar away from really making a push uh, for the division crown. But who knows? Maybe that maybe that superstar is Aloy Jimenez. I mean, um, that kid is spectacular, and he's having a crazy showing in the minors. And he's one of those guys like Vlad Jr., who should be in the big leagues already, um, but is not. And the team is just, you know, manipulating his service time. But at the end of the day, Aloy Jimenez will make it into the major leagues. And I think he will be in a force to be reckoned with. Um, it's just all about timing. And I think the year, you know, right now, even if Manny Machado signed with the White Sox, I think it's a lot like the Padres, where I don't think they make the playoffs this year. But I think they make it next year after they develop some of these players a little bit further along and they make their debuts in 28 and 2019. Um, so I do think there is tremendous upside for the White Sox, but not just yet. And I don't think they're too far away either. Yeah. Up on this list, next, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to rebound a lot on what you're saying on this one. I, the White Sox, this is going to be another season where it's like, you know, you're putting in your time. And I, this is it. You're You're waiting for... Eloy to come up. You're waiting for each guy to come up. There is a ton of talent the White Sox have. I think they have eight of the top 100 prospects. They have multiple ones very high up on the board. They have one of the best farms. We saw it constantly. They are about to make the push. And it's one of those teams that everyone knows they're about to make the push. And it's not going to come as a surprise. They're going to be one of the competitors. They're going to have big free agent t- uh, a big free agent year. It may have not been this year, but it will come. It, they're 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 on the cusp. Just under a hundred losses at sixty four and ninety eight was the Detroit Tigers. Uh, and Miguel Cabrera. They have Miguel Cabrera. They have Miguel Cabrera. The, the team's not much. Michael Fuller, Nitchins, uh, whatever his last name, however you pronounce it, I'm not going to try. They're going to try and trade Shane Green at some point because that's a guy that they have to try and trade. But you look at Detroit and there's, there's no hope really for them. Do you do you look at them and say they have any chance these next few years? And I'm for not Detroit? saying this year. I'm saying years, plural. Detroit. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if we're being honest here, I think you said the highlight for them is Miguel Cabrera. Um, um, And it's not even a good thing that they have Miguel Cabrera because they're stuck with this giant contract and really they're not going to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, I feel I am worried about the Tigers because I feel like they don't have a direction right now. Um, You know, they have some good pitchers, like you said. They still have Fulmer. um, They still have Matthew Boyd. they, they, you know, Castellanos is a really good player for them. So the thing is, though, is that if you're the Tigers, there's no offense to match all this pitching, though. You know, they had they drafted Corey Mays with the number one overall pick for the Tigers, and I think he's going to be stud eventually when he does come up. But there's no hitters right now to go along with this pitching that's in the system. And I think for the Tigers, they could also really benefit from 
you know, rebuilding and trading some of these guys away. There's people that there's people that will pay top notch dollar for Michael Fulmer. And guess what? Michael Fulmer is not on a big contract. So at the end of the day, you can get a good return for someone like Michael Fulmer. You can get a good return for someone like Nick Castellanos, who's still on a rookie contract and is not getting paid millions of dollars for the next eight years like someone like Cabrera is. So if you're the Tigers, you know, they still have Jordan Zimmerman, who they can try and trade away and eat some of that money off the deal. So they still have players that could help other teams. They just need to do it. And I don't think the Tigers are in any place. They're not like the White Sox where, yeah, they're rebuilding, but in a year or two they'll be ready. I think the Tigers are the most farthest away team in this division. Oof. <laughs> and that's saying something. <laughs> you know, I, when I presented the question, I was saying years to begin with. I wasn't sure if you were going to agree or disagree, but uh, th- this is going to be rough. This is what happens when you just make contracts to players. Uh, we saw it when it had Prince Fielder, Victor Martinez, Miguel Cabrera, and Victor Martinez just retired. It's going to be a while. Jordan Zimmerman. I mean, we're, we're still talking about Jordan Zimmerman like he's relevant. He's relevant to the Tigers because of that contract. And it's amazing that they ha- they once had Matt Scherzer, and that was the guy that they let go. It's like the Nationals got rid of Jordan Zimmerman. The Tigers wound up with him. The Tigers got rid of Matt Scherzer. The Nationals wind up with him. It's a complete miss on that part, but it constantly seems like whenever the Tigers have a decent pitcher, they're gone. Rick Porcello, now a Red Sox. There's nothing the Tigers are doing that shows me any belief about them. They have one of the highest contract, uh, one of the highest team money. They're willing to spend. The problem is they've already spent all that money. They're one of the top five or top eight like salary teams in the league, and it's like. Who are you spending that on? Uh, Tigers, yeah. Uh, the bad news is you're going to lose 100 games this season. Because you're not going to just lose 98. That's that's the best positive, I'll say. I'll give them two less wins. <laughs> that would be the nice thing. Uh, the Minnesota Twins, 78 and 84. I love their offseason. Uh, is this one of those quiet sleeper teams that you think can actually be relevant towards the playoffs? Oh, for sure. I love the moves that the Twins made this year, um, too. Um, you know, this is a team that, like we said, they're paying attention to how the division's playing out, right? For And for a while, the Twins have gone back and forth from being a good team, bad team, good team, bad team. But I feel like now the Twins realize, hey, you know, the Indians, they're coming back down to earth. We have a shot to win this division this year and I think the twins are in a really good spot to try and do that you know they bring in someone like Nelson Cruz who's a veteran hitter that can definitely help them I like that signing a lot even though a lot of people are saying why wow, they bring in an old Nelson Cruz um, you know I think you know Berrios is going to be a fantastic pitcher uh, in his second season um, this team just has it all in my opinion to me they were what the Cleveland Indians were a couple of years ago um, and I would love the Twins to go out there and make a surprise signing of Craig Kimbrell. I think it would help their bullpen tremendously. Um, but for now, I love the signings that the Twins have made. Again, I think they're one of those teams where it's like, if you're not careful, um, they could be winning the AL Central. And I don't think it's too outlandish either with the step down that I think that the Cleveland Indians are taking this year. Yeah. They added Nelson Cruz, one of the power hitters in baseball. Added Jonathan Stoke, 20 home run guy. Added C.J. Cron, 
30 home run guy last season. They added a ton of power to this lineup. Uh, they added smaller names like Tyler Austin, Ronald Torres. They, they have a more complete depth to them. And you love the fact that Jose Barrios, as you mentioned, and Byron Buxton are just getting older, getting more experience in the big leagues. You expect a bigger year out of these guys as they develop more and more. They have their ace to their team. They have a nice bullpen. They added Blake Parker. This is a team I really like. I think they're going to compete for this division. They are one of my favorites in this division because there's only two teams in this division. And it's going to be beat up on everybody else. You have to win against teams over 500 because you're not going to play many, but you have to win those games at times. And you can at least be competing for a wild card, a top wild card spot. You have an ace that can win you a wild card game. And Cleveland, you know, they're going to miss a few guys. Lindor is not going to be ready for the season. It seems like Cleveland's starting to almost take a step down with the talent they have. Uh, they could surprisingly sneak up on the Cleveland Indians. Uh, when you look at Cleveland, though, was a, they were talking about possibly trading one of their starters, whether it be Corey Kluber, Trevor Bayo. They have probably one of the best starting pitchers, staffs in baseball, but Danny Salazar, it seems like, never is one of those starters on the team. The bullpen, it's definitely downgraded at times. Uh, they don't have Cody Allen anymore. Brad Hand is their closer. Yeah. They have no more Michael Brantley. You take Cleveland, and it's like, you know, they have a couple good pieces here and there, but is this team, it seems like they've been falling off the last couple of years. They were never really there. For, they're there for the playoffs, but they're just going to be eliminated really quickly by either Boston, the Yankees, or the Astros. Do you think Cleveland's just at that same point, or are, did they get better or worse? You know, I think Cleveland is reaching that point where they're realizing at some point they're going to have to pay Francisco Lindor. Um, and I think they're realizing, oh, you know, we don't have enough money right now to bring some of these guys or to extend some of these guys with the money that we want them to. Because if Lindor hits for free agent market, people will want him. If, if Jose Ramirez hits the market, people are going to sign Jose Ramirez. I think Lindor and Ramirez are two guys that the Indians really want to resign. And I think a big part of letting Michael Brantley walk away was they just don't have the money to retain like someone like Brantley. And I think that's why you keep seeing Kluber's names and trade rumors as well too, is because Kluber's the next guy up who they're probably not going to be able to pay when he hits free agency. So why not trade him now and get something for him? So for the Indians, I think you might see a little bit of a, uh, a step back this season. I mean, the Indians played in a bad division last year. And how many wins did they get, Nick? They only had like 90 wins or 89 wins, I think. I mean, the Rays 91. could have made 91. The Rays could have won the division had they been in the AL Central. That, to me, raises a, a big red flag when it's all said and done, saying how you're a division winner, but yet you couldn't have a dominant record in a division that sucks, that sucked last year. I mean, that, to me, is a red flag for the Cleveland Indians. And I'm not very – I mean, I think this team will be okay this season. I think they'll still be a playoff contending team. They'll get Lindor back at some point. 
But I have a lot of future concerns when it comes to the Cleveland Indians. Yeah, there's a lot of concerns for me. I'm, I am not sold on the Cleveland Indians. Frankly, for the point of they are not sold on the Cleveland Indians. The team knows they can't beat the top three teams. They're not trying to beat the top three teams. They're trying to win the division and hope for the best if their pitching staff can do it. And it can't. It can't go against those offenses and say, hey, we're going to win this game one nothing. We're going to win this game 2-1. You can't win those types of games during those playoffs. You can't consistently try and hold the Yankees, Red Sox, or Astros to one run, two runs, or nothing. It's just too challenging to do that for a series. It's too challenging to try and expect you can strike out guys like Jose Altuve, Mookie Betts, and J.D. Martinez. Guys that don't strike out at the end of the day. The Indians, I think, are going to have to trade one of their pitchers. Maybe even two. They're going to have to try and upgrade around Lindor and Ramirez. They have some great pieces. There's no doubt about that. But we often see, you know, sometimes one or two great pieces just aren't enough to get you to the World Series. It can get you to the playoffs if your division is just bad enough. And their division is bad enough that we look at the Indians and we're like, oh, they're a playoff team. No, I don't think in any other division they're a playoff team. I think they're 91 wins when three teams lost 98 or more. I, I, I don't get how you can do that. You know, two teams won 100 in the same division and a third team won 90 in the American League East. The Indians won one more game, and three teams had 98 losses or more. They play those three teams 18 games each. And they beat the living hell out of the American League Central. Their record against the Central was great last season. It's elsewhere that it was true. So, I'm not sold on the Indians at all. All right. Jose, with that, we're going to head towards the American League East. But before that, you have to give us who you have in the Central. All right, here we go. In last place, I have the Detroit Tigers. Um, I think they're the worst team in the division. I think they're the most farthest away in terms of the, uh, rebuilding teams and trying to get back into contention. Um, I just There's not a lot of positives. I mean, they should be able to win some games because they do have a talented pitching staff and they still have Nick Castellanos. But honestly... Miguel Cabrera is hurt every year. Will this be the year that Cabrera stays healthy? I don't know. Um, there's just a lot of question marks surrounding the Detroit Tigers and, again, about their long-term future as well. So Detroit, last place for the AL Central. And fourth, I'm going to go with the Kansas City Royals. Again, this becomes you know between the White Sox and the Royals for third and fourth in my eyes. I think the White Sox are a little bit better. I think eventually the White Sox are going to call up these kids in Jimenez and Dylan Cease. And I think eventually they got Kopech back. And I think they're just a better team than the Royals right now. I think the Royals, they're really going to miss Sal Perez out for the entire year. Yes, they brought in Martin Maldonado, but offensively, he's not the same as Sal Perez. So I think Sal Perez is going to be a big blow for what was already going to be a bad year for the Kansas City Royals. The Royals finish in fourth. 
I have the White Sox in third. Like I said, they still need a superstar to put them over the hump. Even if they got a superstar like Machado or Harper, I don't think they would have gotten out of third place this year. Their team needs to get healthy. Their rookies need to come up and prove that they are worth the wait. Um, I think Eloy Jimenez, if he does come up at some point this year, I think he might be a favorite for American League Rookie of the Year. Um, so that really leaves us with two teams, either the Indians or the Twins. Um, in second place, I like the Twins. I think this is going to be a wild card team for sure. Um, the I, mean, I, I you know We gushed over the Twins a couple minutes ago, but I will say the one thing that I forgot to point out was rookie manager this year, Rocco Baldelli. You know, it's it's very hard for a manager to come in and meet expectations in his first year. You know, it's easy when you have it when you're Aaron Boone and you have a team of sluggers like the Yankees. But when you're Rocco Baldelli and you have a team of a lot of young kids, a lot of veteran players, a lot of journeyman players, and a young pitching staff, it's a lot harder to do than being in New York or being in Boston for your first year and winning a World Series there. So I think a lot of eyes are going to be on Baldelli. What kind of mistakes are he going to make? Is he going to make? What kind of adjustments is he going to make? Um, to make this team better. So for that, I think they're not quite there yet. Um, but I do think that they can make, they can definitely give the Indians a run for their money. And I think the Twins will definitely be a wild card team this year. And in first place, I'll have the Indians. Um, again, I think this team, you know, they should be able to win first place. I do have some serious questions about their long-term future. But I think they do end up trading someone like Kluber or Bauer towards the deadline. But the good news is that they still have other people like Carrasco, like Salazar. So even if they trade away a starter, they still have other starters to keep on their team to make a playoff run. I think eventually they get Lindor back. I think Lindor and Ramirez are still the core of this team. So like I said, I know we just trashed the Indians earlier, but I'm more worried about their long-term future You know, as they go into free agency as opposed to right now. I feel like the Indians should still be able to win the AL Central. All right, so last I'm going to go with the Tigers just because it's a god-awful team. Uh, Royals as well, they have a few more players up and coming uh, that have higher hopes to them. I think that can help them get a couple wins. Salvador Perez is a huge hit to the Royals, but you know it, it could be a difference of a game or two, like we saw 100 to 104 losses to 98 losses, but the Royals will be fourth. White Sox I like. I think they improve on the win column. I think you've seen a much better team come out there. Uh, this season, and it's just a matter of time before we see more prospects coming up for the White Sox. I think they can be an exciting young team to watch. I don't think they're going to get a a lot of wins, but they're certainly going to improve uh, from their 100. I think they can get up to that 70 win column, which is impressive to say if you're going to go up at least eight wins from a year to year. In second, not making this, uh, not making the playoffs, I have the Cleveland Indians. Look, Lindor's going to miss a little bit of time. That can always take a hit to a team. That can be a bit of a difference maker. But the fact is, they didn't make enough moves. They've lost players. They didn't upgrade the team. And to say that their biggest move was adding Carlos Santana for Edwin Encarnacion is a huge downgrade in my mind when you look at it. They lost Michael Brantley. They're not making the right moves. Defensively, they're going to be worse in the outfield. I like their starting pitching. The bullpen has more question marks now that Cody Allen's gone. They've been having that consistent one-two punch in that 9-8 spot. They don't have it this year. They're relying on just Brad Hand. Yeah, there's 
there's not enough to buy into this team. You love their starting pitching. The pitching can keep them in games. They should be able to beat up on the division. But the fact of the matter is, teams around them, some did get better. And when they're not playing against the division, they are going to lose often. They're not going to make the playoffs in my mind. I have them finishing second in the division. And the Minnesota Twins, the Twins, I think, are going to have one of the worst records of a division winner. I think that it helps that they're playing against still a weak division. It helps that the the best team is just the Cleveland Indians. I'm taking a real chance on the Twins making uh, winning the division, considering the team finished under 500 last year at 78 wins. But I'm all sold on the offseason. The power they added, the lineup production they got, and when you compare it to... Offenses to offenses on when the Phillies made the ads and the Twins made the ads. You know, a lot more home runs, a lot more power added by the Twins than added by the Phillies. I think that's underrated, quietly making a lot of moves. The Twins are one of those teams like the Rockies where it's like, you look at that over-under, you should really like that over at the end of the day. I like the Twins to win the division. I have them there. And... It is a change of pace as, again, we've yet, we don't agree on many of our division teams so far this season. That's kind of been an exciting part to the last couple podcasts. With that, we go to the American League East. And, uh, Jose, you can cover for the two of us. How much crap will the Orioles be? Yay. Baltimore we're talking about. But we didn't spend much time talking about Miami. We're not going to spend much time about Baltimore. I think the one their thing, best player is Chris Davis. Yeah, one thing about Baltimore, though, is you remember that amazing Andrew Benatendi catch from the playoffs last year where he caught it right in front of the Green Monster? I've seen dozens of those photos of the great angles in which he caught it. The most amazing part of that photo is that he caught it in front of the scoreboard where the standings are published. And the most amazing thing... Nick, was that the Orioles were what, like 50 games out of first place? That was the most amazing thing about the photo. Just clearly just sad, honestly. There's nothing good about the Orioles. I, 61 games out of the playoffs. Uh, out, sorry, out of the division, 61 games. They had 47 wins, 115 losses. This, what are we? Why are we still talking about Baltimore? They're done. <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> uh in fourth place in the division and up uh, could be the Toronto Blue Jays. They just won't finish fifth. That's all I know. Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Obviously, he's not going to start the season. But he's being taken as a top 40 player in fantasy baseball. He's being selected extremely high. And I know you're not a huge fantasy uh, sports guy, but... On just Vlad Guerrero Jr. alone, what is your take on him? What's your projections for him? Um, you know, to me, it's going to be very interesting. I feel like, well, the first question is, when will the Blue Jays call him up, right? Because the Blue Jays, you know, the good news for them is that the Orioles are in the same division, which means they're not going to finish in the last place. But the bad news is they're not finishing out of fourth place either. I think everybody, if you ask everybody, the Blue Jays are finishing in fourth and the Orioles are finishing in fifth. 
But the question is for the Blue Jays is when do you call up Vlad Guerrero Jr.? I don't think you know there's a doubt that he's going to be great. I think this is a guy that's going to hit 10 to 15 home runs. He's going to have about 50 RBIs. And he's going to hit over 300. I think he's going to be a stud, Nick. I really do. But when, when, if you're the Blue Jays, do you call him up? And I get it. I get it for the fans that are crying for him right now and they want him to get called up and all this stuff. But at the same time, you have to think about it from a Blue, Blue Jays perspective. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to the playoffs if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. gets called up. So for the Blue Jays, you have to think strategically here. What's the best way to call up Guerrero? When's the best time to call him up? That way we're not losing service time on this kid's contract, especially when we know we're not going anywhere this year. So I think Guerrero is going to be great. I think he's going to be as advertised. I mean, his dad was phenomenal. I think he'll be he'll be just as good as his dad when time will tell. Um, but I do feel bad for the Blue Jays here because they're stuck in a situation where it's, well, do we call him up? Do we not call him up? I wouldn't know what to do if either if I was the Blue Jays right now. You know, you're going to have to call him up. You can't have a, just this kid sitting in the minor leagues for forever. I, I get it. He's 19. You want to wait till he fully develops, but there comes a point where he has to play. He's This isn't... Let's be honest. It's not like he's he has competition. Part of the reason he shot up through the ranks is because it just wasn't, the, the competition wasn't good enough for him. And that's the thing, like, there, there gets a point where it's like, th- this isn't competitive for him. He's just going to blow by it. And it's going to be unfor- a little bit unfortunate for Toronto that they have to call him up a bit early, but I think it's going to be extremely exciting when he gets called up, uh, because that to me is a game changer. He's going to fill the stands at times because he's he's going to be a player that you're going to want to see. You're going to want to watch. You're going to want to see how well he can do. Uh, defensively, I think at third base this is a few question marks, but I don't think defensively should be the only reason why he doesn't get called up into the MLB pretty much after the service time. Because if you, you're not going to keep him down there for a full year. The Yankees and Red Sox both finished with over 100 games. Yankees with 100, Red Sox with 108. For the Yankees, though, they added a lot of moves. James Patson, uh, Luis Saravino, though, is possibly going to miss some time. Do you feel the Yankees need to make a move for starting pitching if Saravino's out? You know, I don't think the Yankees need to. Would it benefit them? Sure. I think, you know, especially when a guy like Gio Gonzalez is out there, especially this late into the offseason, I think it won't take much to sign someone like Gio Gonzalez. But if you're the Yankees, you know, you don't want to rush Severino back. Um, it's a rotator cuff injury. Those are always tricky. I feel like you always hear about people having setbacks with that. The Yankees do need to equip themselves to survive this injury. Because this isn't just like some fifth starter. This is the ace of your rotation. Now, they still have Tanaka. They still have Paxton. Um, you know, they still have Jay Happ in their rotation. But it wouldn't hurt to have that extra arm that you can easily move to the bullpen or just have around when Severino does come back, right? We're not asking the Yankees to go out there and make a trade for an all-star pitcher because they need to find room for him when Severino comes back from the injury. But I don't think it would hurt the Yankees to go out there and sign someone like a Gio Gonzalez when, you know, 
he is available out there. The Yankees definitely have the money to do it, and it's not going to cost you a lot of money. I think it wouldn't hurt the Yankees here, especially if they want to achieve their goal and really win the division instead of getting, settling for a wild card spot. I really feel like the Yankees and Red Sox are going to be going back and forth all year, so it's important to start winning games from the get-go. So that means not you know, letting Severino's injury get the best of this team. Their first baseman options, though, right now, uh, Luke Volt. Do you, would you start Luke Volt? Uh, at first base, it's either between Luke Voigt or uh, Greg Bird. Um, honestly, at this point, I would just platoon them. And, you know, and you know whoever catches the hot hand. Honestly, I, I know a lot of Yankee fans won't like this, but I think Luke Voigt is overrated. I think he's a guy who benefits from playing in Yankee Stadium. I think if you put him on any other team, he hits 110, and he probably gets cut within the first two weeks of the big leagues. Um, and honestly, I think Greg Bird... To me, Greg Bird still is the better player. You know, the guy just has to get healthy and and fix things mentally at the plate, too. You know, there are so many times where he looks lost. Hopefully, watching Luke Voigt take your job into the playoffs, you know, lights a fire under Greg Bird. And if not, then the Yankees, you know, need to look to upgrade at first base because Luke Voigt, to me, is not the answer. I think to start the season, I would at least platoon the two. And last part about the Yankees. They set the record for the most home runs all time in a single season. We've heard Jotes 300. Do you think 300 home runs in a single season is possible for the Yankees? You know, I think it's it, I think it is very possible. I mean, you you have a team that when healthy, you know, Judge can hit 40 home runs, 50 home runs in a full season if he's healthy. They broke the record last year at, what, 265, 266? They did that when Judge was on the shelf for most of the year. Sanchez was hurt most of the year. You know, some other guys missed some time, too. You know, they've had some they had some injuries last year. Can you imagine a, a full, healthy year of Judge, Stanton, and Sanchez in the lineup? Every one of those guys can hit 30 to 40 home runs. And you have guys like Hicks who can hit home runs. Clint Frazier has home run power. I think 300 home runs is possible. Do I want to see the Yankees hit 300 home runs? No, because that means there's probably a lot more strikeouts too. But is it possible? For sure. Do you, the way the game's changed though, um, I'm going to take the under in the 300 just because. But the way the game's changed, um, it's strikeouts to, and home runs. We talked about it with Chris Davis. We talked we talked about about Aaron Judge. We talked about it with Gary Sanchez, Giancarlo Stanton, Bryce Harper at times. Uh, the Yankees, I think, also personify a bit of how the game has changed for that. Do you like that more or less? But the fact that strikeouts are going up and home runs too. Yep. An increase in both. That that's the way the game is going now. I mean, is it a little bit entertaining? Sure, yeah, of course. I mean, like they say, chicks dig the long ball, right? Um, but you know, it, it is what it is. I feel like for American League teams, that tends to be a rise because you know they don't play the small ball that a National League does, and you have that extra DH position too, which is usually a heavy home run hitter. I think that's bound to happen. I also think American League parks are a lot smaller, especially for the Yankees. If you're playing 81 games at Yankee Stadium, and then you're playing night, you know, you're playing half. You know, uh, you're playing half of the games that you play against the Red Sox in Fenway, another good hitting park. Toronto, another good hitting park. Baltimore, 
Tampa. Those are all good hitting parks, honestly. So I think for the Yankees, it's definitely, you know, that's definitely a trend that people are used to. Um, you know, I'm a fan of baseball, so I enjoy a 10-9 slugfest, but I also enjoy a 2-1 well-pitched game. So um, I do enjoy I do enjoy the trend. Uh, I think it sucks that strikeouts are going up too, but when you hit more home runs, you get more strikeouts. That's just how it is. Red Sox featured the MVP, what should have been the runner-up to the, uh, or what should have been the runner-up to the MVP, and I always felt J.D. Martinez should have been the MVP. Uh, but there's no real bullpen to the Red Sox this season. Is that a huge concern for you or no? Yeah, this is a major concern for me. Two things are a major concern for me for the Red Sox. One is their bullpen. I mean, you're looking at their closer being Matt Barnes, and I'm not saying he can't do it, um, but look at the Yankees' bullpen. They have, like, five closers. You know, look at the Mets, right? They even added Edwin Diaz, you know, to a bullpen with Juris Familia. Um, you know, the Phillies add David Robertson. You know, a lot of teams are taking this approach where it's like we're having more than one guy with closer-type stuff to try and shut down these games. The bullpen for the Boston Red Sox was shaky all year long. It was their weakest part of the team. Then when they got to the playoffs, they got hot. Joe Kelly got hot. He gets a contract. Craig Kimbrough, who was arguably their best reliever, best pitcher, relief pitcher, all year long, struggled in the playoffs, and he still doesn't have a job yet. If I was the Red Sox, I'd bring back Craig Kimbrell. But, I mean, if the price is too high, then I understand. But if you're the Red Sox, that bullpen, to me, on paper— is horrendous, and I don't like the way it looks compared to a bullpen, I don't know, like the Yankees. Um, and also, you know, a lot of things went right for the Red Sox last year. This is a team that was barely injured. Uh, they barely had any big injuries to any of their big-name players. It's hard to do that again for a second straight season. You know, injuries are part of the game, and you can always count on somebody missing time. But for the Red Sox, almost nobody did. And I don't know if you can count on that again for the Yankees, uh, I mean, for the Red Sox being as healthy as they were last year. So two big concerns, honestly, for the Red Sox, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, the, the bullpen is the biggest concern for me. Uh, the fact that, you know, yes, Craig Kimball had a bad postseason. He's still the most dominant relief pitcher in baseball. And it's still better than going with Matt Barnes. It, it, the Red Sox, it's scary how much they went postseason dependent. Because Nathan Avaldi had a great postseason for them, they give this entirely large contract to. But Craig Kimball doesn't, and they don't. And it's so strange because it's like, who would you rather on your team? Craig Kimball or Nathan Avaldi? And I think everyone in the world is going to pitch Craig Kimball. Except the Red Sox. So... That, to me, stands out as like the biggest strange move because you're going to need that. When you have these one-run games, you're going to need the bullpen. You're going to need that closer. The fact that you haven't gone after anybody, yet alone trade for somebody as well, it just is so strange, and it doesn't make sense to me at all. If... There are teams that are possibly not competing this year. They have different options for you. Sure, but if you're talking about you're going to be okay for the first three months, four months of the MLB season with the bullpen that you have, I don't buy it. Because you're banking on you winning 10-3, to then you're banking on it being a 5-4, 3-2 game and needing to get those three out successfully. 
So I, I, I find this very strange what they're doing. Uh, Boston's always seemed to have a very good closer in the back end of their uh, pitching staff, and this is the first year where it's like, hey, it's it's Matt Barnes, it's it's by committee, it's by you know whatever, but it just it doesn't add up. You're the World Series champions. You can go out, you can spend a little bit. You have the money, you have the options. Uh, this one, this one's the biggest head scratcher for me of this. Um, with that, Baltimore fourth, uh, Baltimore fifth. Where do you have going fourth in the division? I like how you already assumed that Baltimore's fifth. No, um, I don't assume. I you know. know. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Baltimore fifth place and fourth. I have Toronto. I'm sorry. There's, you know, this is a team that has some intriguing pieces. You know, they still have Marcus Stroman. They still have. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the other kid's name. Uh, Aaron Sanchez. Uh, you know, they still have him in the rotation, too. So this is still a team that has some good pieces. They have Kevin Pillar. You know, I like Guriel. Um, I think once Vladimir Guerrero Jr. comes up, he'll be pretty good as well, too. Um, but this team is just not better than the Rays. It's not better than the Yankees. It's not better than the Red Sox. So, honestly, if the Orioles weren't in the division, they'd probably finish in last place. But I think the other three teams ahead of them are just too far out um, in terms of talent in order for the the Blue Jays to get anywhere higher than fourth place. So Blue Jays in fourth place. In third place, I'm going to go with Tampa Bay Rays. This is another team that made a lot of interesting moves in the offseason, bringing Charlie Morton. I think they're going to be a good team. Austin Meadows, um, at some point, he should probably make his debut for the Rays, um, coming over in a trade for Chris Archer. Uh, this is a team that won 90 games last year. People forget that. Tampa won 90 games and did not make the playoffs. If they were in the AL Central, they would have beaten out the Cleveland Indians for that spot. It's amazing. And I think this is a good managed team by Kevin Cash. This is a good team that knows how to use the bullpenning too to their, their advantage too, even though they don't do it every single day. Um, I do like the Rays a lot. However, unfortunately, same thing as last year. They play in the same division as the Yankees and the Red Sox, and they're just not better than the Yankees or the Red Sox. Um, so for the Rays, I think Blake Snell's going to have another fantastic year. Um, but I, I think the Rays finish in third place by default because the other two teams are just too good. In second place, I'm going to go with Boston. Yes, the defending champs finishing in second place. Um, that bullpen, I'm sorry, it's, it's a big concern for me. You, you can't, to me, you can't have a bad bullpen and be a playoff contending team. I know the Red Sox did it last year, but everything can't go that perfectly again for the Red Sox like it did last year in their championship season. I just think the Red Sox are going to come back down to earth a little bit. I don't think Nathan Evaldi is going to be as good in a full season as opposed to a half season for the Red Sox. So then the Red Sox finish in second place. They really need some bullpen upgrades. Hopefully they reunite with Kimbrell at some point in the season. And in first place, and going with the Yankees. I think when this team is healthy, I think they're a little bit better offensively than the Red Sox. I think they have more power. But they're, I like their pitching staff a lot better. After Sale and David Price, I think the rotation drops off significantly for the Red Sox as opposed for the Yankees. You know, when Severino is healthy, Severino, Paxton, Tanaka, Happ. You know, that's a solid squad, one through four right there, no matter who the fifth starter is. And, of course, his bullpen. I mean, the Yankees have shortened this game so much, it's it's not even funny. You know, if you're, they're basically telling teams, hey, you better have a lead after six innings, otherwise we're going to come in and close the door on you. And they have Aravino, Batances, Britton, Chapman. And that's not even adding some of these other kids that are pretty good, too, out of the bullpen. And, you know, I just think the Yankees are so much better than the Red Sox in that category, and it makes such a big difference. So I have the Yankees finishing in first. Uh, Baltimore in fifth, fourth, 
Toronto, there's going to be more improvement, but I mean, it's just they're not better than any of the other three teams at all. And they're way better than Baltimore, so they're just stuck at fourth. Tampa, I really like them this season uh, to have a good shot at a wild card, but the fact is it's very tough for Tampa uh, on just the the sheer problem was they won 90 games and they were nowhere near a wild card spot when teams like the Yankees are winning 100 or the Red Sox are winning over 108 and then you have in the AL West 100 wins plus by Houston and 97 by Oakland. There's just nothing you can do at that part. Uh, Tampa, I love the additions they've made. I think Charlie Martin is a great add onto the team. Blake Snell. They're ready to compete even further. I think they can get higher than that 90 win spot for them. But it it is going to be a tough situation for them to get to the playoffs with everything that's ahead of them. Second, I think the Red Sox, you know, they're... They're the World Series champions. They had 108 wins. They're not going to fall off much. There's a lot of questions marks for me, especially with that bullpen. Then they have a team like the Yankees in the division. It's just too much I look at to overcome there. I'm going to put the Red Sox in second, but I don't think they're going to be anywhere out of the playoffs. And lastly, in first, is the New York Yankees. 100 wins last season. They improved tremendously. Uh, Luis Saravino is the biggest question mark. I think right now, the fact that Gio Gonzalez or Dallas Keitel are both available, throw a little bit of money to them. You know, when the season starts, if there's still more questions about Luis Saravino not being ready, what's the risk that it has to take? You're a team that can get to the World Series this season. I think the, for the Yankees, they're not in a real panic mode because of the fact that it's not even in the beginning of the year yet. If you can get Saravino back, obviously you just need him for when playoff time begins. Uh, but, you know, why why risk it? I, if Saravino was to go down tomorrow, I think the Yankees would go out there and sign a pitcher. But for right now, the Yankees' number one team in the East could have what is the best record in baseball. So, we still have to do our wild cards, our playoff run, and our MVPs in Cy Young. So let's start with the National League. Uh, Jose won an MVP and a dart horse that didn't finish in like the top five for the MVP possibility in both the Cy Young and in the MVP. So let's start with the MVP. Which, uh, what do you look as for the National League MVP? For the National League MVP, I'm going to go with Chris Bryant. I think he's going to have a healthy season in 2019. He had a bad year last year and missed a lot of time. But I do think he's going to bounce back very nicely. I think he's very motivated after hearing some of his name come up in trade rumors again. And I think it's time for him to remind everybody that he's the face of the Chicago Cubs. I know they have Anthony Rizzo too. But, you know, Bryant really is the power slugger in that lineup, in my opinion. He's the third baseman who can do it all. Um, you know, Javi Baez kind of stole the show last year from him a little bit. Um but I do think for NL MVP, uh, you know, Chris Bryant's going to have a comeback and have a fantastic season for them in, as they win the division. Um, for Dark Horse for MVP, 
I'm going to go Juan Soto. I think this kid has tremendous talent. Um, I think, you know, people are going to look to him to try and, like, take control of the team now that Bryce Harper is gone. Uh, and I think he's going to have a good season. I think, uh, you know, he's going to have to face a little bit of adjustment because I feel like people are going to catch on to what he was doing last year. Um, but there's no reason why he can't go out there and make good things happen uh, like he did the prior year before. Uh, for NL Cy Young, I'm going to roll with um, – sorry. I am going to roll with Jacob DeGrom's teammate, Noah Syndergaard. Um, I think – yeah, used I used him as a dart horse. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I think Noah's going to have a good year this year. I think after watching Jake uh, go out and do his thing, I think Noah Syndergaard can take the next step forward and really um, come together and put together his season, too. Um, I think Noah's finally going to stay healthy because when Noah is healthy, he really, really is a good player. Uh, my dark horse for uh, Cy Young is going to actually be, well, I had a person until you said they couldn't finish in the top five. Uh, I was going to pick Patrick Corbin. <laughs> Um, I think you know he's going to get lost in the shuffle a little bit uh, when it comes to being behind Strasburg and Scherzer, but I think Patrick Corbin's going to have a phenomenal year um, in his first year in the East. Um, I think there's a lot of teams that have a lot of lefties in their lineups for the East. And I think Patrick Corbin. I know I broke your rule here, but I mean, yeah, you, originally, it, you I, took the fifth guy. That's not too bad. I originally had Patrick Corbin on my list for the dark horse. So that, that's there fine. You we'll count Patrick Corbin. Uh, so for me, I'm going to go Noah Arenado. With the guy hit 297, 38 home runs, 110 RBIs last season. I think the fact that he plays in Colorado gives him a little bit of a disadvantage on people just look at the average and look at the numbers and say, ah, oh, that's just because he plays there. No, it's because he's a phenomenal player. I think he's got all the potential to hit over 40 home runs. He continues to excel. Uh, for me, I'm going to take him as my MVP. For my dark horse, I'm going to go real dark horse on the sense that like no one's going to consider. But I'm going to go Marcel Ozuna. You know, he had an awful year last season, but when you go back to the year prior, when he had Gintalo Stanton, and I'm not saying he's going to have Gintalo Stanton again, the numbers are actually, you know, relatively there. Now what do the Cardinals do? Well, they add Paul to Oldsmith. And I think that's going to help Marcelo Zuna out tremendously. You look at last season's stats, you know, 280, Okay, 23 home runs, 88 RBIs. He played 148 games. The year prior, 312 average. Okay, 37 home runs, 124 RBIs. This is a guy that really produced last season, uh, the season prior. He's still extremely young. we're, We're talking about a guy that's only entering his... 28 year old so he's about to get to that prime year numbers spent a big year out of Marcelo Zuna I'm putting him down as my dark horse for MVP for my Cy Young this is an easy choice it's a guy that's won it so many years in a row finished second last season Matt Scherzer this guy's the shoe in every single season to win the MVP for to win the Cy Young he's the best pitcher in baseball at the end of the day you have to take Scherzer. Uh, the fact that DeGrom had to be immaculate to beat him, that's uh, my way of taking Matt Scherzer. And, you know, for a dark horse among starting pitchers, I'm trying to go through a few different guys and trying to pitch something that would be interesting of, uh, of a, a way to go about this. 
and it's very tough, but I'm just going to go with a simpler one. I'll take his teammate, Steven Strasburg. Uh, you know, a guy that didn't finish in the top five, but is a still a phenomenal pitcher. Health seems to be a big question mark for Steven Strasburg, but if he can find a way to stay healthy, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Hands down, he puts up some of the best numbers. I think it's an easy consideration that if health is on his side, he should be up there for Cy Young. All right. On to the American League before we hit the wild cards. Jose, who do you have? For the American League MVP, I am going to go with... um, I almost gave away my dark horse a little bit early. Uh, (laughs) For my AL MVP... I am going to go with Mookie Betts for a second straight year. Um, I think Mookie Betts is a fantastic player. I think he really broke out in terms of being that face of the franchise out for the Boston Red Sox. And he is a phenomenal player. As much as we like to joke that J.D. Martinez should have won it, Mookie Betts also had an outstanding year, and you really can't take that away from him. Um, for my dark horse, and I'm gonna also going to go really dark here, uh, I'm going to go Matt Chapman from the Oakland A's. Oh, wow. um, I think I, this kid is, it, to me, he's phenomenal. I mean, he's he was the Wilson's platinum, you know, Wilson's defensive player of the year last year. He led the majors with 26 direct defensive runs saved. Um, you know, to me, he's like a mini Josh Donaldson when Donaldson was in Oakland. This kid's consistent. I think he's going to have a great year. Um, you know, there's a lot of choices. I feel like there's a lot of third basemen out there in American League between like Bregman and whatnot. But I think Matt Chapman, again, he's my dark horse to win the MVP. All right, so I'm going to take an easy one here. Uh, my Chow. Uh, you know, best player. <laughs> top, out. <laughs> top out. Best player in baseball. Uh, probably the most hated player in baseball because he just never gets any love from the voters. Uh, you know, you should always just pick him to finish second because that's where he it's just. the LeBron James effect. It really is. It's. It's. I always feel with Mike Trout. It's like, okay, did this guy do enough to beat Mike Trout? That's really just how it goes, practically all the time, and it's never. Uh, it's. It's tough to watch that. All right. So for my dark horse, I'm trying to think of a couple different guys that could be that relative player that I really want to pick, and. You know, at the end of the day, it's really tough for me, but you know, I'm going to take George Springer. You know, Houston Astros offense, you know, Springer's got phenomenal numbers that he posts up. And, you know, you take the offense of Houston. Just somebody's going to play extremely well on that team every single given night. Springer's been playing really great. And we look at it, and we go last season, 140 games. The 265 average is the big concern, but I think he can up that. He's getting a little bit up there towards his prime years. Off last season with only 22 home runs, but the year prior he hit 34 home runs. 100 runs stored is pretty much a given for him. If he can get those RBIs up a little bit, get the average up, this guy is a prime candidate to be one of those top 10 guys in the MVP. If he can get to that extra point, we could see him being a favorite. And what about, um, we didn't do Cy Young yet, so let's do Cy Young. For my American League Cy Young, I'm going to go with Justin Verlander. Um, I mean, this guy has really got a second whim of his career since he's been traded to Houston. I believe it's also his contract here. Houston wants to re-sign him. Verlander says he has no plan to retiring. So it's going to be very interesting to see 
how many, you know, what kind of contract offers Verlander gets if he hits the open market, especially at his age. Um, but this guy is not pitching like someone who's like 35, 36. So I think, especially since it's his contract year, it's his walk year, we're going to see one of the best versions of Justin Verlander. And I think he go out there, he goes out there and he wins the Cy Young Award. For my dark horse for the AL Cy Young, I'm going to roll with Jose Barrios from the Twins. I think this kid is phenomenal. Tremendous slider, tremendous stuff. Um, I think he's young enough to go out there and start 32 times in a year. I think he's clearly going to get the opening day nod for the Twins. And like you said, he's the guy that's going to pitch in a wild card game if the Twins get a wild card spot. So I'm going to pick Jose Barrios as my dark horse for AL Cy Young. So I actually have the same as that too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're on some page on the same. Uh, Justin Verlander. You know, a lot of players are just doing enough just to beat them. And it's it's constant, consistent pitching from Verlander. Uh, constantly over... It's just beating everybody around him. Uh, there's no question. And wins are going to help you. Barrios, I really love this year. I, I agree with you on every point. The fact is, if I have the Minnesota Twins finishing to win the division, that means one thing. He's going to win a lot of games at that point. That's always a great mark for Sayan. It helps. We don't let Ed wins as the defining moment, but you know, there's nothing wrong with having another thing to state your case. I think Barrios can make the push uh, and be up there, especially finishing in the top five. I don't think is too far of a stretch for Barrios. All right. So for the wild cards, we'll go back to the National League again. The Rockies for myself. Phillies and as well the Brewers so when I look at it and see I don't really like a lot of the teams in the National League West I don't think the Dodgers have enough to make the push for a wild card they were falling short towards the very end the Cubs had the second best record in baseball I'm going to give them the number one wild card spot from there I go to the National League East and I'm going to do my homer move, but I'm going to give the Mets the final spot in the division as a wild card. Well, well, well. Yeah. Seems about fair. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to give a homer move to the Mets as the second wild card team. And, you know, this is a team that's play, uh, made a lot of offseason moves. I'm really high on both. Michael Tonforto, he was almost my dark horse pick for MVP and Brandon Nimmo. I think that's a great combo. The fact that the Mets have other guys like Johannes Hespidus that's possibly coming back, even if that is such a small feint. It's like you added your own uh, midway all-star break trade. Yeah. At the end, you have three core pitchers. You're in a tough division. It's not going to be easy to win games, but you have to consistently do it. If you want to make the wild card, I think the Mets have made that push to try and get back towards the playoffs. What about you for the National League? For me, for the National League, well, as you remember, my division winners were the Rockies, the Cubs, and the Nationals from west to east there. So for my wild card picks, I agree with you. I don't think the Dodgers are going to get in. I don't think they have enough this year, and I feel like this is a really injury-prone team um, to try and get it done. So I feel like the Dodgers are going to miss the playoffs. I just wanted to start with saying that. For the first wild card spot, I'm going to give it to the Brewers. Again, this is a team that has a really good offense. I'm a little bit worried about how their pitching is going to hold up. It's why I had them in second place for the NL Central underneath the Cubs. But I do think they have enough offense to push them through for the entire year. Um, you know, that kind of offense that they had last year doesn't just go away. Um, so to me, I think they're going to battle it out. 
and they're going to get the first wild card spot in my eyes. And for the second wild card spot, I'm also going to choose the New York Mets. Not only because I'm a big fan of theirs, but also because I do think they made up a lot of improvements, like you said. Um, this is a team that improved their bullpen, one of the major you know, weaknesses for their team. I think Pete Alonso is going to have a good rookie season for them. I feel like they picked up a lot of consistent hitters um, this year. That's really going to help them nab that second wild card spot. So really, our only big difference in the National League is that I have the Phillies and you have the Nationals uh, as two teams that are making the playoffs difference. In the American League, uh, so I got the Yankees, the Twins, and the Astros winning the division. That leaves me with two teams. I'm just going to go simple on this. It's going to be the Red Sox, and it's going to be the Oakland Athletics. Look, I really like the Tampa Bay Rays. I don't think they can make enough of a push to get over the hump of those two teams. The fact is, just the Rays are going to have to spend 36 games this season playing both the Yankees and Red Sox. That never helps you out. And that can be the difference maker of just a couple games on a simple reason why they won't make it over the Yankees and Red Sox and why they won't make it over the Athletics. Uh, that, But again, I, I will give all the credit to the Rays. I don't think the Cleveland Indians are a good enough team to make the playoffs at all. And so with that, I'll have the Yankees and Red Sox, Twins, and Oakland and Houston in the playoffs on the American League. Jose, where is it going for yours? And then go further up. You mean go further up as yep, if the... Yep, uh... keep going into the playoffs then. All right, so so from west to east again, I just want to recap what we mentioned earlier before. I said Astros, Indians, and Yankees. And so my first wild card spot is going to go to the Boston Red Sox. Yes, they don't have a bullpen. But I do think they'll address that at some point this season, whether that's moving a starter to the pen or whatnot. But also, again, much like the Brewers, this offense is just too heavy power. You can't tell me that the defending world champs are just going to drop off and not make the playoffs. I think the Red Sox get in. J.D. Martinez is another great year. Mookie Betts is another great year. Um, and this team's just way too powerful on offense to miss the playoffs at all. Um, I think it's more likely they get out in the wild card game then I'm actually missing the playoffs entirely. So Red Sox get my first wild card spot. And for the second wild card spot, as much as I like the A's, as much as I like the Twins, I just don't think the A's have enough on the pitching side. I don't think the Twins are there just yet, even though I'm a big fan of theirs. Although I am going to roll with the Tampa Bay Rays for the second wild card spot, something that you didn't want to do because they faced the Red Sox and Yankees. But like I said, this team won 90 games last year. And they still brought back the same team. It's a young core. They added some starting pitching with Charlie Morton. Um, and I think Austin Meadows is going to come up and have a fantastic year for them. And I really think the Rays are going to be able to at least get over the hump and win a couple more games um, against the Red Sox and Yankees this year to help them propel themselves into the playoffs. Again, you don't win 90 games last year and miss and, and going to miss the playoffs again for a second straight year. I think the Rays get that second wild card spot. And as you said, to carry on into over it, I'll start with the American League side. So it'll be the Red Sox and the Rays in the wild card game. And I'm going to roll with the Red Sox. They're just a better team than the Rays. The Rays will give it a valiant effort, but the Red Sox will win the wild card game and eventually go on to face the number one seed, who I have as the Yankees. So, yes, it'll be a rematch in the first round again of the Yankees and Red Sox. And on the other side, it'll be the Astros and Indians. The Astros will beat the Indians, and then the Yankees will beat the Red Sox because the Yankees have the better bullpen. Setting up Astros against the Yankees in the ALCS, and I have a fully healthy Astros team making the World Series yet again in 2019. Um, and on the flip side for the National League, 
as we said, I had the Mets and Brewers in a wild card game. I have the Mets beating the Brewers in a wild card game because, yes, I am a homer. And the Mets will eventually take on the Chicago Cubs in the first round, while the Nationals will take on the Colorado Rockies in the other half of the first round. The Cubs will unfortunately beat the Mets in my eyes. Yes, sadly, they will. They'll move on to the NLCS. And for the first time, the Rockies will actually get out of the first round and they'll face I'm sorry, not the first time. The Rockies will beat the Nationals in the first round as well, and they will make it to the NLCS, setting up Rockies-Cubs. I then have the Rockies beating the Cubs in the NLCS, setting up an Astros-Rockies World Series. That should be fun. And get ready for it. I'm going to go super dark horse here. The Rockies win the World Series over the Astros, Nick. Wow. That is... We are going very much (laughs) of a dark horse on this one. Uh, (laughs) uh, So... I'll start in uh, the American League and work my way towards. In the wild card game, it's the Red Sox versus Oakland. I'm going to give it to the Red Sox. Just, you know, the better team at the end of the day. Chris Sale on the mound as the ace. It's going to help. Uh, Red Sox get passed. Uh, the Yankees, I think, are going to be playing the Minnesota Twins. The Yankees should easily beat the Twins. Houston, I will have beating the Red Sox this season uh, in the playoffs, leading towards a rematch two, uh, two years ago in the ALCS of Houston versus the Yankees. You know, I think Houston's bullpen has certainly uh, improved over last year. I think that could be a difference maker. The fact is that they just will have Verlander and Cole. Verlander being, you know, the top pitcher of the prime, uh, playoff pitcher at the end of the day, World Series champ. It should put them over the edge. Houston, I have going to the World Series like you as well. In the National League, I'm going to give the Mets beating the Cubs in the wild card game. DeDrom versus Lester or DeDrom versus Kyle Hendricks, DeDrom versus whoever, it's a one-gamer. I'm going to go DeDrom at the end of the day. He just doesn't lose as much, and if he does, it's only because he scored one. With that, the um, Milwaukee, I'm going to have playing the Rockies, I think that's where it ends for the Rockies, though. I think Milwaukee is going to beat the Rockies there. The Phillies are going to beat the Mets. I think the fact that you lose the drama out for the first game, the Phillies just having Nola being able to pitch a few extra three games can be the difference maker. And just, you know, the better team, which would be the Phillies versus the Brewers. I'll have the Brewers beating the Phillies because it's just tough to put a division rival in there. But I also looked at the Brewers, and I think they have enough necessary pieces, especially in that starting staff that's underrated with Jimmy Nelson coming back, Chase Anderson. I think you could even see towards the trade deadline the Brewers making a big-time trade to get a guy like a Madison Bumgarner. I think they're going to make that push where they're going to trade a top prospect away. They have enough guys that are just on that roster long enough that they're going to get away one of their offensive top prospects for a pitcher. I think that can be a necessary push for the Brewers, and it will be Brewers versus the Astros in the World Series, and I'm going to go with Houston winning the World Series before Justin Verlander becomes a free agent. And my MVP, I'm going to give to Justin Verlander as well for the World Series. So we do have the same team going to the World Series in one of them. The other one, though, we're looking at the Brewers for me and the Rockies winning the World Series for you. So a real interesting take right there. Uh, 
with that, we're coming towards the end of was it episode forty-four? Yeah. The Obama episode. Uh, yes, uh, the greatest president. <laughs> um, please come back. <laughs> yes, yes, please. I'm all for it. I don't mind a third term, <laughs> but better a third term than a second term of what we have. Anyway, enough of the politics. <laughs> Today in sports history in 1960, Will Chamberlain uh, for the Philadelphia sets an NBA playoff record of 53 points. Uh, this being a March Madness time, there is a ton of March Madness going uh, of just you know today in sports history. So I'm not going to rule them all off. Just enjoy the games. But our dude of the week, this one was kind of tough to do because I almost want to combo it. Uh, currently, right now, we're doing the podcast. And with that, West Virginia is winning 63-52 over Texas Tech. Texas Tech is the seventh best team in the country right now. West Virginia also got the win last night against Oklahoma. Oklahoma was also one of the best teams, you know, in the country. And was, if they beat West Virginia, they had a 96% chance of getting to the tournament. If they lost to West Virginia, their percentage was going to dip to like 50 so. But West Virginia's 13 and 19. If they beat Texas Tech tonight, they could get themselves possibly in the tournament if they can get one more win, maybe. They may have to win out this entire tournament that they're playing in in order to get into the NCAA tournament. But I'm going to give our dude of the week to West Virginia, especially in the game against Oklahoma. And I'm going to give it to, you know, I'm going to go Jermaine Haley. He had 14 points, 12 rebounds, and the key point of West Virginia is offensive rebounds. They had 16 in the game against Oklahoma. Tonight against Texas Tech, they have 16 yet again with seven minutes left to go in this game. West Virginia could be one of those teams that's just under 500 but completely making a threat into the tournament if they can knock off the seventh best team in the country. So that is our dude of the week, Jermaine Haley slash West Virginia, putting themselves in a great chance. And this is why March Madness is so much fun, because a 3-13 and team is beating the seventh best team in the country by 11 points. And we just saw Gonzaga earlier in the week, the number one team in the country, lose to St. Mary's. With that, though, as I think that was the longest dude of the week we've ever done, <laughs> Jose, where's our dunce of the week going? Our dunce of the week is going to go to Conor McGregor. If you haven't heard, um, TMZ reported that Conor McGregor had taken someone's phone at a nightclub and smashed it, I guess, as the person was trying to take a picture. We don't really know the full story, but for Conor McGregor, he was wanted for robbery and, of course, um, Basically, whatever damage charge you can put on him for that. Uh, it's been a downward spiral for Conor McGregor. You know, you lose to Khabib. You have that big brawl outside of the octagon. Um, things are not going your way. Uh, they want to try and do a fight between Donald Cerrone and Conor McGregor. But Conor McGregor doesn't want to agree to it unless it's the main event because he's a diva. And then now he gets in trouble for breaking a fan's phone outside of a nightclub. Uh, not exactly how things want. Not exactly how you want things to go if you're Conor McGregor. So Conor McGregor, dunce of the week. With that, we're coming to the final thoughts. Um, 
So, Jose, any final thoughts for our podcast episode 44? Yeah, my final thought is if I feel bad for anybody, it's probably Hugh Jackson after all this. Somebody made a good point online. Imagine being fired one year, then the next year your team becomes the Avengers. I mean, <laughs> poor Hugh Jackson has to be looking at it saying, where was this Where was this, this staff when I was coaching the football team? Um, so I do feel bad for Hugh Jackson just a little bit that he has to sit and watch the Browns have fun now that he's uh, unemployed. <laughs> uh, so... I'm not really going to do a final thought, but a preview into our Nets podcast. We are going to be recording it early next week. I know we're doing a lot of bat-to-bat-to-bats, but that's just so much to go on with March. Part of the madness, we're doing uh, each a bracket. We're going to be talking about our brackets and giving you a previews to help you out with yours as well. We'll try and put in some good upsets that we have coming into it. But I'm excited to do a bracket. I'm excited for March Madness. Um, I've been watching college basketball all day. Not not because it's just before the podcast, but I've been doing it all year. So I'm expecting to have a good year on my bracket and watch it go to hell after game one. <laughs> uh, with that, so, um, I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And thank you so much for listening to Sarasso and the Beard podcast, episode 44. And once again, you can check out all of our podcast episodes on the S&D Podcast channel, and there are much more podcasts to check out on the S&D Podcast channel, especially, you know, I'm getting close to the WrestleMania moments. I almost wound up going, uh, was thinking about buying the tickets for WrestleMania, but it's certainly going to be an exciting time as we're getting closer to the MLB season, which starts next week, especially in Japan, Seattle versus Oakland, and we're getting very close to my favorite time, March Madness. Enjoy the rest of your night, and thank you so much for listening to Sarasso and the Beard.